Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is Speedball Mike Bailey. You're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yes. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The Ace of Podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we will break down our year-end awards and cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the network's podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Wrestling Tea store, WrestlingTees.com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Young boy, it is the most wonderful time of the year award season yes it is and uh we are here live uh recording um what is this is uh did we do awards for 2016 when we started the show uh 2017 was the first because we started the show in 2017 and we did our first awards okay so i'm bad at math this is the seventh annual okay (laughs) (laughs) so this is the seventh annual uh keeping it strong style new japan wrestling awards so um you know i I, one thing is i don't care how many people vote in it this year (laughs) (laughs) like in the past like i was like hell-bent to like try and ensure that as many people as possible could participate in it And, and don't get me wrong if you're listening we want you to share this and we want you to post this you know on different what are the places? The Discord, Reddit, Discord, X, Facebook, Instagram, MySpace. Yeah, any groups, any anyone that you know that you talk about New Japan with, that you're friends with, like share it with them. Sure, we want everyone to be able to participate. But like in the past, I've really wanted this to be like this big thing that everybody's like you know tuned into. But now, like 
you know, if they dig it, they dig it. And if they don't vote, whatever, like, you know, it is what it is. Like, I'm done trying to convince, you know, a million people (laughs) to, you know, watch this shit, much less vote on it, you know? Right. Well, uh, you know, good thing is, you know, the ballot did go live last week and we've already had a, a ton of voters come in. So thank you, everybody who's voted so far. But I know a lot of people like to wait to vote until we do this award preview and breakdown to kind of hear some of our reasoning and thoughts behind the nominees and the categories. So uh, we'll do that here today. Normally, this is a, it's a bonus episode, but I think with our, our busy schedules, it's a holiday season. The awards have kind of been shifting later and later every year, just kind of due to World Tag League and other stuff. So we're, we're going to jam it in here and, and cover all the news and stuff uh, as well. She said. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? I forgot this normally is a bonus episode, and this year we're just doing it. There was nothing going on this week anyway, so it works out. But, uh, yeah. you know, maybe next year. When I don't have quite as much going on career-wise, because uh, I do got a test coming up uh, literally a month from now, like from today's date. So uh, it's getting down to crunch time. But, you know, that won't be going on next year. So maybe I can uh, be a little bit more tentative because uh, uh, full disclosure, the reason this shit took so long is me. <laughs> I'm the reason. <laughs> Uh, but but I am glad that uh, a lot of people are voting and, and are enjoying the awards. And I, I do think that this is something that a lot of people look forward to. And, you know, don't get me wrong. There, there are voices um, and ears in the company that are aware of this as well. So uh, it's kind of a cool little thing. So if you are listening, definitely vote, definitely share this and uh, let's get into it. Yeah. So to vote, uh, the, the link for the ballot will be in the description of the show, or you can go to our Twitter. It's pinned to the top of the tweet, or you just go into your, your browser, type in bit.ly slash kiss award two, three, and that will take you to our Google doc ballot where you can place your votes. So like Josh says, the seventh annual awards, our grading period is for this award is November 21st. 2022 to November 19th, 2023. Uh, each category uh, for the nominees, they have a first place, second place, and third place vote. So your first place vote gives the uh, nominee three points, second place two points, third place one point. And, you know, like we mentioned, after you submit your ballot, make sure you share it and tell your, your friends to uh, vote in as well. Uh, voting will close on January 3rd. Uh, 11:59 p.m. and then oh nice i like that you know <laughs> get you you know psyched for uh january 4th and then on january 9th on keeping a strong style we will announce the winners of the award so you got plenty of time still to vote if you haven't voted yet and so uh let's go through uh the awards here so first we'll start off with the the big one here the antonio anoki wrestler of the year so our nominees, we got the Stone Pitbull, Tomohiro Ishii, the Ungovernable, Tetsuya Naito, the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada, the Aerial Assassin, Will Ospreay, the Frontman, Zack Sabre Jr., the current IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, Sonata, the Dragon, Shingo Takagi, and the current IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, the Ticking Time Bomb, Hiromu Takahashi. Yeah, so, um, you know, there have been years where it was really difficult to narrow down the field and then other years where it was a bit easier and then 
Um, for instance, the first year of the <laughs> pandemic was like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know who's going to win any of this. It's a very kind of weird and tumultuous time. And in some ways, this year's awards kind of felt similar to that vibe for me when we were doing the nominations. Um, it was easy to figure out who should be included here. And there might've been, you know, we, we, Shota Umino was like very close, very much on the cusp, didn't make the, you know, didn't make it, but, um, it wasn't too hard to narrow down these particular individuals. Yeah. I would say that, um, it, this was probably one of the easiest categories, I think, to narrow down and get the nominees in. Uh, you know, I think it's probably the first time in a while that, you know, Tanahashi is not on here. Uh, but, I mean, it was pretty clear the guys who had a standout great year. And, like, we always say, you know, our Wrestler of the Year award is kind of a, a combination of your Flair Thez and your most outstanding. So, the, the cool thing about this award, it's, it's all about how you want to vote. What is what you see is, you know, the wrestler of the year. So people might, you know, they put a lot of weight in entering as their wrestler of the year. So obviously, you know, we got Tomohiro Ishii on here, a guy that even though he was in the never six man division and, uh, you know, he's kind of been slowing down year after year. He's still going out there putting on, you know, incredible matches. So, you know, somebody who's high work rate that can get your vote if you're, more of, you know, I want my guy to be a top draw, good promo. Uh, you might be like, oh, well, Tetsuya Naito or Kazuchika Okada, you know, that kind of the top star, flagship kind of guy. That's who you want to vote for. But I think a lot of these guys across the board, I think in ring, I think it's covered by all these guys. And then all of them kind of have a different strength for people to vote on here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, some some individuals, I think the argument could be made more so for, like you mentioned, like the Flair Thez aspect where either they're in a prominent position or prominent stories kind of surrounding them, or they were like a top champion or tournament winner or something of that nature. And then other individuals, the weight is going to be more so based on their in-ring success, which is a huge component of the fandom, why people tune into New Japan in the first place. So um, you know, I don't know if we want to just go through real briefly and kind of just touch on key aspects, why we, why we think each of these individuals deserved inclusion, I suppose. Yeah, we can do that. So, uh, yeah, uh, Tomohiro Ishii, let's start with him. Yeah. So Ishii, this wasn't necessarily, uh, his strongest year in terms of like kayfabe success, you know? Um, but he did end up winning the um, never open weight six man tag team titles alongside Kazushi Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi. And so that was one of the big accolades and stories kind of surrounding his year. But uh, in ring, he had an incredible year in almost every single tournament. He was still a top uh, uh, competitor in the G1 did well in uh, the new Japan cup had uh, multiple great singles matches just all throughout the year, whether that was here or, you know, uh, in other companies. Yeah. I think obviously the most consistent guy on this bout when it comes to entering quality, um, you, you just know what you're going to get with Ishii. And I think this year was actually a better year for him than last year. Cause I, I, I listened back to our preview show last year and we were a little down on Ishii. He kind of had a down year where he, he barely made the cut, uh, last year, but I think this year, uh, was a better year for him. He had a lot of great stuff 
internationally, um, Rev Pro, the, the Shingo match, Luke Jacobs match. And I know that's, yeah. that's not necessarily quote unquote new Japan, but I think a lot of the excursion stuff, I think kind of does kind of help uh, a, a nominee's case for, for winning wrestler of the year. Uh, but yeah, overall really great year. Then like you mentioned, you know, the team hall of fame thing with him and Tanahashi and Okada, they've held it down, you know, the second half of the year with those six man tags. And, you know, we're going to talk about some of their matches come, you know, match of the year, tag match of the year. Uh, but they've just had a great year. One thing I'll do as we kind of progress through this uh, talking point, I've got cage matches, top 100 New Japan rated matches of the year, and I'll just plug in up the person's name, see how many times their name shows up on the page, just to kind of give you a brief idea. Tomohiro Ishii, 13 matches out of the top 100. That's pretty good. Yeah. So then uh, next up, uh, Tetsuya Naito uh, winning uh, G1 Climax this year. That's his uh, third G1 win. He's going to be heading to the Tokyo Dome January 4th. And, you know, I think this was kind of a, a year to, to build Naito up um, into that spot. Uh, incredible matches in G1 with uh, Will Ospreay, Kazuchika Okada. Uh, yeah, again, I think another, this is more of, kind of a guy that he's a top draw, good on promos, great merch seller. LIJ is one of the top faction. He consistently is a top star. Has very good matches, won the G1, uh, a lot of things working for Naito this year. Yeah, I mean, for, for Naito, uh, obviously he won the G1 like you mentioned, but he also had an early spotlight on him at the early part of the year where he was part of, uh, he was basically the main focal point of the story between um, the Great Muta's for, you know, Kiji Muto's final match in New Japan and him never actually touching or facing off with a, uh, Naito in that match, and that was sort of some of the big appeal of that. And then coming out of that uh, Wrestle Kingdom 17 event, they had the, the Yokohama Arena show. Him and Kano had their big face-off, and that was a one of the bigger matches in the early part of the year. And then uh, eventually headlining the Tokyo Dome in, uh, I think it was March, for uh, Kijimuto's final retirement match. And that was another big kind of key indicator that we were sort of speculating yeah, this year might be sort of about Naito. There's a good chance he's probably going to win the G1. Um, in terms of match quality, if you look, uh, again, I said I'd say this for everybody, you only see his name listed four times this year. It's going to be the Kano match, uh, and then his work at the tail end of the G1 with uh, Zack Sabre Jr., as well as his matches with Osprey and Okada. But the matches with Okada and Osprey on the final two days are so high that he peaks almost higher than most uh, other performers in New Japan this year, and that is definitely worth something because he's uh, got two matches that are in the top six of the year and definitely match the year contender. So, um, you know, uh, that that's probably the big selling point for Naito this year. Yeah. Then uh, next up, the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada. Uh, I mean, again, this is, you know, the, the current ace of the promotion. Uh, you know, the first half of the year was all about, you know, Okada versus a new generation. We saw the stuff of him in uh, Kiyomiya, and then he's been battling the likes of Ren Narita, Shota Umino, and kind of fighting off the young guys. And then, uh, you know, we had the big uh, Brian Danielson match at Forbidden Door. Um, but then kind of the, the kind of after that second half of the year, there was also more of the focus on the team hall of fame stuff of him and Ishii and Tanahashi with the never six man titles. And 
Um, yeah, that's kind of been his main focus this last half of the year until we get the, you know, Brian Danielson coming back to challenge him for uh, the rematch in Tokyo Dome. Yeah, Okada shows up with 17 matches um, on the top 100 list for New Japan on Cage Match this year. So that's quite a, a lot. Uh, started off the year strong, defeated Jay White in the Tokyo Dome in the main event. Went on to defend that title multiple times. Uh, was dethroned uh, at Sakura Genesis by the, the current champion, Sonata. But then kind of, um, you know, sort of pivoted into having an incredible G1, one of the best G1s of anybody in the calendar year, probably one of the best Okada G1s in forever. And then having this uh, very lengthy and, you know, kind of lofty title run with uh, him and Ishii and Tanahashi. So even though Okada hasn't been the forefront of the company, hasn't been main eventing every single show, his work has been impeccable. He's kind of been the backbone in some ways of a lot of uh, New Japan this year. Yeah. Then uh, Will Ospreay, uh, I mean, I, I think just saying the name itself uh, writes that the case here, I'll see Will Ospreay, you know, a five-star wrestling machine, um, had the incredible match with Kenny Omega at the beginning of the year at Wrestle Kingdom, uh, dropping the title to Kenny there, and then kind of having this rebuilding and the story of I need to beat Kenny or I don't belong in New Japan and that led him to have a great feud with Taichi in the new beginning. And then he went to New Japan Cup, got hurt in the New Japan Cup, came back, had the rematch at Forbidden Door, beat Kenny, got the U.S. title back. And then from there, you know, had a really great second half of the year with the U.S. slash U.K. title, having all these great defenses. Um, incredible match with Suji, incredible match with Umino. I mean, it's another banner year for Will Ospreay. Yeah, after dropping the U.S. title to Kenny Omega on January 4th, uh, was unsuccessful um, in regaining any titles until the halfway point of the year where he faced off with Will Ospreay again at Forbidden Door, regained the U.S. title, had multiple very, you know, touted uh, and critically acclaimed um, title defense matches throughout the year. also the work that Osprey did outside of new Japan, just worldwide and in various different uh, countries and companies was also kind of has to be taken into account. Um, He does only show up in the top 100 matches of new Japan 13 times. But I think what makes his argument a little bit different is when you look at the top eight or the top 10 matches of the year, he's in six of those. And the first four all involved, all have his involvement. So he peaks higher than even Naito. There's nobody else who's listed this many times at, at the very, very top end of New Japan's, uh, you know, match quality. And, um, you know, for a lot of people, they kind of looked at his title reign and then looked at, uh, like, say, Sonata's. And there was that discussion, that compare and contrast about, like, who kind of was the top star of, of the year, basically. Right. Yeah. Who was the real world champion? <laughs> Uh, then we got uh, Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, won the New Japan World TV title at Wrestle Kingdom, becoming the first TV champion. And then he's held the belt all year. You know, he's the, the modern defense breaker uh, with these multiple defenses of the TV title. You know, this new 15-minute concept, and it was really kind of also the, kind of the, the poster man, the front man, I should say, 
for that title and for TMDK, you know, led his own faction this year, um, brought in uh, Kosei Vegeta under his wing. I think Zach did a, a lot of really cool stuff, you know, had the, the feuds with uh, Jeff Cobb, the TV title over summer. Thought he had a really good G1. Got the last uh, Will Ospreay match at a Royal Quest. Um, yeah, another great, I think, in-ring year for Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah, Zack Sabre Jr., uh, speaking of his title defenses, is currently sitting at 16 successful title defenses in the course of one year uh, with the new NJPW World Television Championship. Uh, you, you did a great job kind of running down a lot of the accolades and kind of story beats there. Uh, Zach d- did have uh, 11 of the top 100 matches this year. So his name kind of popping up there pretty frequently. And a lot of that was, you know, based around his uh, TV title run, which like you mentioned, sub 15 minute matches. So you can imagine how there's benefits and limitations when it comes to being the guy known for having sub 15 minute matches. But I feel like Zach made it work. And then, he kind of combined that with the work he did in the G1, which he was in the weakest block of the entire tournament, that D block, and he was <laughs> the MVP of the D block in the tournament. So, um, you know, uh, Zach had a great year this year. I, I, to me, if you if you want my honest opinion, I, I prefer Zach's TV title run to, like, say, Orange Cassidy's international title run. Yeah, I think Zach's TV run with the range of opponents he had, the quality of the matches, I think it's going to go down as one of the best title reigns of 2023, especially a a year where a lot of the world champions across the board and a a lot of promotions weren't putting out uh, some of their best stuff. Absolutely. But uh, speaking of world champions, the next guy, Sonata. Um, So also, you know, the the big thing here for Sonata, you know, he, he finally won the big one. Uh, he, you know, he goes to secure Genesis. He defeats uh, Okada. Finally, wins the, the world heavyweight title. New look, gets a faction, becomes a leader of just five guys. And you know, we're we're optimistic. You know, it's going to be a, a great second half of the year for Sonata. Uh, goes in, has a fine match with Jack Perry, and then goes into the G one. Luckily, he's putting that A block with all the young guys who are hungry and you know really want to prove themselves. So he had a lot of good matches there. But then post G one, his title reigns felt kind of cold. Um, also having one of the worst title matches of of the year, probably since we've been recording this show against Evil, um, and then going into you know feuding with Naito, which has felt at least. Western side of things, it's felt very cold. I know they're selling tons of tickets. There is a ton of domestic interest in Naito versus Sonata, uh, but it just feels like the the fuse not really heating up. But uh, yeah, I mean Sonata. <laughs> Have you watched the uh, the breakdown video that New Japan put out between Naito and Sonata, kind of detailing their eighteen year history? Not yet. I watched the uh, the Naito interview in the, the baseball stadium. Yeah, um, he he ripped him a new one in that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you need to watch the uh, the I don't know. I, let's just call it the what what do they call that for AW Road Two? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Watch the Road Two video that New Japan put out. It's pretty good and it does help. I mean, um, but I mean I can't deny with most of what you just said there, but. You know, it is one of those things. I think Sonata, if we're being honest, was one of the guys that was closer to being on the chopping block than to being a slam dunk 
uh, for a nominee for wrestler of the year. But when you held the, the world title for the length of time that he has, it's kind of hard to deny uh, his at least nomination for wrestler of the year. And on top of that, he did have six of the top matches of the year that that is less than some of the other uh, wrestlers. I think his argument is somewhat closer to like what we described for uh, Tetsuya Naito. Difference being that Naito kind of um, peaked a bit higher than Sonata did, whereas Sonata was more so like the consistent focal point of a lot of the, you know, he was the, the, the front man of the company. He was the guy having most of the main events all throughout the year. And was at the top of the card. So uh, putting that together with some of the top matches he had with Okada and Kiyomiya and Suji and um, you know Taichi, that sort of thing, uh, he still did have a solid year. I, I, he's not going to be getting my vote, but um, <laughs> he's here. Yeah, I mean, he, he won New Japan Cup, main event of Kira Genesis, won the title, won won the A Block. Like he's had a lot of you know milestones where it's kind of hard to ignore from a kayfabe sense to mm-hmm. you know why he wouldn't be on the ballot. I think you know definitely the the in ring is not as strong as some of the other nominees here. But yeah, like you mentioned, he's the world champion again. This is kind of more of your Flair Thez kind of voting if you're looking for the guy right. who's kind of like your top guy, your world champion. If you're more of that kind of voter, I could see where Sonata ends up on your top three. Now, Jeremy, don't give anything away. I haven't looked at the numbers. I know you probably have been. Um, I, you didn't give me access to those, so I, I, I did. I, I did add your add your email on there. Well, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what. I don't know how all that works. But uh, you know, I'm I'm just shooting in the dark here. But uh, not trying to sway anybody. But I I got the sneaking suspicion that this might be the first awards where the current reigning world champion does not place in the top three of wrestler of the year. Yeah, it is not looking very good for. Oh, I told you not to tell the people. Yeah, you're like, oh, it's not looking good for Sonata. <laughs> uh, I'll say this: if you're a Sonata fan and you think he deserves to be in the top three, you better get to the ballots. You, you better, you know, go go smack down your vote because <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he's gonna need it. Well, that's gonna do it for wrestler of the year, right? Now we got two more. Oh, my bad. We got the uh, the dragon, Shingo Takagi, who had, um, again, he's, he's kind of in that Ishii realm of a guy who's going to have always have a, a great in-ring year. Um, you know, there's just so much. Uh, he's just like a really another consistently great wrestler. I'm trying to remember some of the stuff he did this year, but. Uh, I mean, his KOPW title run. That's right. Oh, yeah. Him and, Hana- him and Hanare, the, uh, what was that, the last, uh, the last man standing and. Uh, ultimate triad match thing they did yeah plus their match at the g1 their three matches uh, very and we'll get to feud of the year but it's a it's a strong contender for feud of the year uh you had the match with okada uh that's right in february for the the world title match yeah yeah his run through the uh through the g1 was really great uh he had the match with nakajima in the early part of the year that uh took place on the noah new japan show um yeah hanari had a or Hinari. Shingo had a really strong year, plus uh, kind of reviving the feud with him and Taichi, as well as the, uh, you know, it's not New Japan per se, but it is New Japan adjacent at the tail end of last year. And it was part of this grading period, uh, the KOPW title match between him and Taichi that took place at the Taka Taichi Mania event for Just Tap Out, one of the best excursion matches of the year. So 
Yeah, Shingo still had a banner year. He he shows up on the top 100 list for 2023 in New Japan nine times. So he he really did have a fantastic year. Yeah. Uh, then last here we have Hiroshi Takahashi winning the junior title at Wrestle Kingdom, and he's been the the junior champion for uh, the whole year, majority of the grading period, several defenses. I think he's what up to like V seven right now. Uh, you know, he's been the, 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 the face of the junior division uh, as usual and uh, having great matches and doing it all across Japan. You know, we've seen him go to multiple promotions. He kind of spearheaded the junior festivals in Japan and America. Um, so it just did a lot across the board in the junior division, having good matches, being the front guy. I think he's a very well-rounded nominee here. Yeah, seven um, defenses, like you mentioned. Um, he had 12 of the top 100 matches in New Japan this year. Uh, I do feel like the second half of his year kind of slowed down once we got to the G1, but that typically does tend to happen when it comes to focus on the juniors. But uh, did a lot of work to work in multiple promotions across Japan this year and spearheaded the uh, all-star junior festivals here and uh, in the States as well. So um, did a lot of great work there. Um, and this is the, you know, the, the, the IWGB junior heavyweight title tends to over the last decade has tended to be a hot potato belt and commodity. And there has, it, it literally hasn't been since the, the reign of Prince Devitt that someone had this many uh, title defenses and, you know, so even if he hasn't broken the record just yet, it is still a very notable reign with a lot of great defenses. Someone that has worked to kind of be an ambassador for New Japan across the country, and um, you know, even just won the Tokyo Sports Award. So, yeah, and also you know, his goal is very clear. You know, wanting to be break the fence record, he wants the junior title main event of Tokyo Dome. So he has really big goals for the junior division and that's kind of played out with his work and the way that he's positioned this year. Nice. So um, that is going to do it for wrestler of the year. That's the big one. The second big award of the year is the match of the year. And I'm going to read the results here, what we have nominated. It's a lot to get into. So me and Jeremy will probably just give you a couple quick points about each match and you guys can, uh, you know, tell us what you think, but uh, in chronological order, we have Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega from January 4th, at the Tokyo Dome, Kazushiko Kata versus Shingo Takagi on February 11th from New Beginning, Hanare versus Shingo from April 2nd. I think that was a road to Road event. to Sakura Genesis. Okay. You got Wato and Teton on May 28th at the best of the Super Junior Finals. Uh, the Blackpool Combat Club versus Tanahashi, Okada, and Ishii from June 4th. That was uh, Dominion? Yeah. Yep. Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay on June 25th from Forbidden Door. El Fantasmo versus Will Ospreay August 6th from the G1 Climax. Tetsuya Naito versus Will Ospreay from August 12th from the G1 Climax. And then Okada and Naito from August 13th, the G1 Climax Finals. Will Ospreay versus Yota Suji. September 24th, I believe that was... A destruction, right? Destruction, yep. Uh, Shingo Takagi versus Tomohiro Ishii, October 14th from... Uh, what was the London show? Royal Quest. Royal Quest. And then uh, same show, Will Ospreay versus Zack Sabre Jr. in the main event of Royal Quest. 
And finally, ending the nominees, Shota Umino versus Will Ospreay, November the 4th from, what was that event? Power Struggle. Power Struggle, all right. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm, Jeremy only has the dates down here, so I'm like trying to remember (laughs) what events are in what month and all that. But uh, yeah, Uh, what is this? This is 12 matches we got here? 12, 13, something like that. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, this was a really tough field to kind of narrow down, but I, I think we did a good job uh, kind of including the best matches of the year. I'm sure that there's some other ones that are just near the cut and just know that if there's something that you see missing that you wanted to vote for, uh, you know, your job is to vote on what we tell you is the best <laughs> matches. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we, we did look at cage match. We looked at days ratings, looked at my ratings to kind of – uh, compile this list and kind of see across the board, not just fully ours, but you know, a lot of people vote on cage match and kind of see what are the best matches across the board. And so, putting in all those different scores and ratings combined, this is kind of the list that we got here. Yeah. So, I mean, um, Jeremy, why don't you start us off? Quick thought on, uh, you know, Osprey Omega One. I mean, absolutely incredible blow away match you know i woke up live to to watch wrestle kingdom watch this matchup and yeah i mean this should have been the main event <laughs> just a, it's an epic epic clash like the ultimate you know people i feel like the word dream match is thrown around a lot nowadays but like i feel like this was a legitimate like dream match these two guys in their peak on one of the biggest stages uh and just an it's an absolute one of the best matches i've ever watched in my life uh, yeah, one of the most violent matches of the year. Uh, very different in style and tone than what I had expected. And one of the best storytelling matches of the entire year as well. What? Uh, I mean, New Japan told a story? Yes, what? they did. And uh, it's one of the best. And uh, I think a lot of people are going to have that as a vote. Um, now, I will, full disclosure, I had trouble this year. When me and Jeremy were going through the awards, he's like, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And I was like, bro, I don't remember a lot of this year. Like, I don't know. I don't know if it's because I've been studying for all these tests and I can't hold all the, same, the information in my head, but like, I do not remember Okada Shingo. It's got incredible scores. I'm sure it was fantastic. Then again, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I've never been that high on Okada Shingo as a series in general. But, uh, Jeremy, I know that you really, in particular, like this match. Yeah, I've always been uh, kind of a fan of the Shingo Okada series and matchups. And, again, I thought this was another great matchup. You know, interesting, Shingo was coming in as KOPW champion and challenging Okada for New Beginning in Osaka. And I just feel like these guys have great chemistry. And, you know, it's the battle of the uh, pumping bomber against the Rainmaker Lariat and I think, you know, going in there with Chingo, he Okada really has to kind of step up the, the quote-unquote strong style game of, you know, facing the power and striking game of Shingo. And, yeah, this was a, another uh, great world title match this year. Hanari Shingo had a fantastic match during the New Japan Cup, which resulted in this rematch, the ultimate triad match, which a lot of people were kind of scoffing at the rules and thought that it was going to kind of convolute the incredible work that they had done back at the uh, New Japan Cup. And instead, it elevated it. And uh, it's turned out to be the best series of matches of Hanari's career. Um, and Shingo was fantastic here as well. Uh, one of the most hard-hitting matches of the year. Yeah, I know a lot of people might not like KOPW. There's been a lot of goofy uh, stipulation matches since it's been uh, around since 2020. But 
you know, when you get a champion like Shingo and you get a stipulation like this and a guy like Hanari who's very hungry equals to a great matchup. So, like you said, yeah, very hard-hitting, very unique style of matchup. And this was on a Road 2 show, and just the buzz that it got being on a Road 2 show is enough, as a, kind of speaks volumes f- f- alone right there. Uh, Wato Titan, the best of Super Junior Finals. This was a match that uh, kind of exceeded a lot of expectations from both men and was kind of a new platform for both of them in terms of spotlight within uh, New Japan's lore, and they knocked it out of the park. Yeah, absolutely incredible matchup here. Uh, I know, again, a lot of people down on Master Wato with him coming back, but uh, I think this year he's really improved. And, uh, yeah, I thought both guys really stepped up and kind of they, they earned a spotlight here. They went out there, killed it, had this great match. I think nobody expected them to be in the finals. Nobody expected them to have this great of a match. And, yeah, definitely a big moment here for Wato and Teton. Then we've got uh, BCC, Tanahashi, Okada, and Ishii. And this was a wild and crazy six-man tag team match. Uh, you know, John Moxley, along with the BCC crew, really brought kind of the chaos to members of chaos. <laughs> and uh, this was one that they fought and brawled all through the, through the outside and um, kind of built upon the foundation that has sort of been laid by the previous chaos versus BCC six-man tag match that had occurred a, a few shows prior to that that was also, uh, you know, very top-notch. But uh, this was very likely and arguably the best match in the um really fantastic reign of you know team hall of fame in ishii tanahashi and okada and uh one of the better uh aew new japan crossover matches of the year yeah this was uh claudio's uh you know new japan japanese debut so that that was a big deal and yeah, this match was just wild and crazy, and yeah, I gave it five stars right after it happened, and I thought maybe, maybe I was going nuts, but you look at the scores and the ratings, and I think across the board, people had this, you know, five stars or four and three quarters, and yeah, this was it's a wild match, and you know, look at the guys you had in that match, Tanahashi, Ishii, Okada, John Moxley, Claudio Casagnoli, and then the up-and-coming Shota Umino, like, just great talent, you gave them time, and great stuff, yeah. Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay, the rematch, it was maybe in some ways even more um, anticipated than the original match was. And uh, again, very violent. Maybe it didn't hit the same levels of visceral violence that the first match did, but it had in some regards a, a bigger spotlight on it um, taking place you know, uh, over here in North America, kind of a trade-off of home turf. Uh, and the match was, you know, very, very violent. And down the stretch, the infamous head drop bump uh, with the storm driver. driver. <laughs> yeah, the storm driver, whatever they call it. Um, you know, and this was one that uh, rivaled the quality of the first match. And, you know, some people thought surpassed it. Yeah, I mean, great follow-up to January 4th. I am going to be interested to see kind of how it plays out uh, in the voting as more votes come in uh, to see, you know, because this is a situation where, you know, maybe votes get split or, you know, people prefer two over one or one over two. So, yeah, I'm curious to see how uh, this is going to continue to do in the voting. 
Yeah, definitely. And then um, the next matchup, and we can kind of talk about all three of them. You got Phantasmo and Osprey, Naito and Osprey, and then Okada, Naito, all three taking place during the G1. And G1 is typically known as the time of the year when some of the best matches take place. And, uh, you know, basically the Phantasmo and Osprey match was to determine who would continue through the B block. So it was essentially the B block finals there. And, uh, you know, to date, possibly the, the best match of Phantasmo's New Japan run. And he's had some really fantastic matches in the past, but definitely the best of the series between him and Osprey. Naito and Osprey at the uh, semifinals for the G1 this year in the new format was outstanding, extremely violent, and was one that everybody was talking about and uh, very much. Um, you know, infamous for Naito getting shoot knocked out and being having to be carried through the finale of the match. And then Okada Naito is a return to form. Uh, the crowd was maybe the loudest I could recall them being for any match all year long. And one of the best environments that I've seen uh, in quite a while in New Japan. And uh, one of my favorite matches this year. And, and, you know, finally a return to form when it comes to the G1 finals. Yeah, these three matches um, definitely rose to the occasion here, um, especially with this the new formats that we're seeing with G One. You know, we haven't gotten you know quite as many you know quote unquote notebook matches as we've gotten in previous years in the G One. But uh, I feel like these three matches really were kind of over the top. Uh, you know, no doubt about it that these these matches were going to get all about. Like you mentioned, yeah, ELP Ospreys was. You know, definitely one of ELP's uh, best matches in New Japan, and it was just one of those moments where, like, it, you kind of felt like he had a chance. He could he could have broke through and uh, get on, but of course, Osprey ends up winning the match. But that was just, I think, the you know one of those really first matches of of the tournament towards the end there, where you're like, all right, here we go. This is the Grade One Climax. This is what this, this tournament's all about. And then you you lead into the semi and the finals with uh, Naito, Osprey, Okada, Naito. Uh, just two absolutely incredible matches. You know, Naito and Osprey just have uh, amazing chemistry. And, uh, you know, they've kind of saved that kind of feud towards these last couple of years now. And um, seeing it here again in the G1 position, being a, a semifinal spot was just great. And, uh, yeah, luckily, you know, Naito was able to get through the match there, get the win. And then, yeah, Okada, Naito, uh, just, you know, one of the foundational rivalries of the, the promotion uh, in the last uh, five, ten years and something that the, the company's been built on. And, yeah, it was great kind of seeing it on that G1 final stage. And, again, another great match for them and Naito getting the big win. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So uh, next we got uh, Will Ospreay and Suji for the uh, U.S. slash U.K. title. Yeah, this was one of the 
most anticipated title defenses of Osprey's title run and uh, kind of uh, the big step up for Suji. We'd already, and it's not nominated here, but the match with Sonata was his first big test. And this was sort of like the second big step up post G1. And a lot of people were almost kind of questioning, would he be the one to kind of dethrone um, Osprey, which it didn't happen, but this ended up being one of the best title defenses of Osprey's uh, run with the belt and a, a huge feather in the cap to both him as well as Suji and uh, an incredible step up match for Suji. Yeah, this was definitely yeah, the breakout moment here. Yes, obviously the Dominion was cool with Suji coming back in that match with Sonata, but this was like the first quote unquote real test. And I thought Suji knocked it out the park. He showed he can hang with a guy like Will Ospreay. And there were so many just incredible uh, moments in that match. So many great near falls. I think people really wanted to see uh, Suji Gene blast this man and win the belt, but didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> didn't happen. Gene blast. <laughs> didn't didn't happen. Osprey retained, but yeah, definitely a star making performance there for um, Yo Suji. Shingo versus Ishii, as well as Osprey and Saber, both took place on the same night from. Uh, uh, Royal Quest. I don't even, which is funny because I don't even think that that's nominated for show of the year, just based on the fact that the rest of the card was so weak. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get it back. I think show of the year is next. We'll talk about kind of the, the structure of those shows, but yeah, two incredible uh, matches here with semi main and main event, and also, you know, two of the better rivalries in the last five years with Shingo and Ishii. They've had a history now, which since Shingo's been in New Japan, they're great back and forth, never tile stuff, G1 stuff, and then. Obviously, Osprey Saber goes back a long time, and it's been a, a foundational rivalry in the Brit rest scene, and has kind of you know been transplanted to New Japan. And these guys seem to wrestle, you know, every year, every other year, and have incredible matches every time they do. Yeah, and I mean, if his most recent comments uh, are to be believed, this is very likely the final um, UK rep pro match between these two that we'll ever see. So, kind of a added uh, sentimentality to this match, but uh, two totally different style matches, but equally great and uh, very, very top-notch, high-end stuff. And then finally, we got Umino versus Osprey from Power Struggle, which kind of closed out the calendar year. And, um, you know, for my money, uh, very, very close to the caliber of the Osprey and um, Omega series and another one of the best quote-unquote storytelling matches uh, <laughs> of the year. And, um, you know, take a lot of the things I said about Suji stepping up, and you can kind of apply that here to Umino. Yeah, there were so many emotions in this match and so many great near falls. And we, we saw Shoto Umino kind of really break out of his shell and kind of hit that next level that a lot of people want to see him get to kind of to prove that he could be an ace and carry this promotion. And yeah, he had an incredible performance and there were so many moments towards us down the stretch where I thought he was going to get it and beat Osprey. Uh, but he, well, he didn't, but yeah, he got over in defeat and definitely a, a great thing for him. And I'm looking forward to uh, Umino's 2024. So that's going to take us now to the show of the year. Uh, so we have Wrestle Kingdom 17 in Tokyo Dome, Wrestle Kingdom 17 in Yokohama Arena, Battle in the Valley, Sakura Genesis, Resurgence, Forbidden Door, Dominion, Independence Day Night 2, 
G1 Climax 33, Night 5, the USA All-Star Junior Festival, Multiverse United 2, and Power Struggle. Yeah, so this is a pretty uh, eclectic and kind of uh, diverse group of shows and style of shows that New Japan had this year. And you definitely have like your sort of uh, more traditional big calendar New Japan shows throughout the year, whether that's Wrestle Kingdom or Sakura Genesis, Dominion, Power Struggle. They're still here. They're on the card. Uh, but there's other ones that are also kind of there. You've got Battle in the Valley, which is like a U.S.-based New Japan, like almost the you know the resurgence, quote unquote, of the new what was supposed to be New Japan Strong. Um, same thing with Battle in the Valley; those are like two of the shows that were based in the U.S. And then you've got also sort of like your crossover shows. So you got like the Wrestle Kingdom 17, which is like the Noah New Japan show. Forbidden Door, which is the AEW New Japan show. Same thing with Multiverse United. So like the crossover with Impact, which was sort of a, a, a big through line for the company. And all three of those shows delivered. And then, um, you know, there's some other stuff here too, like the All-Star Junior Festival, which was, you know, its own unique thing that happened the night prior to Multiverse United. So, uh, and then even the independence day show where strong came over to tokyo and um you know had shows in cork and hall which was a, a very different type of presentation and vibe from what you traditionally see from new japan at a cork and hall show so uh, a lot of different things kind of taking place throughout the year here yeah and you know for our show of the year like we were talking about you know we're looking from the, the whole show from beginning to end i think you know, some people might be, oh, why are there, there, there not more like G1 nights on here? Or there might be some shows like you meant like Royal Quest. You have those two great, you know, match of the year contenders back to back. Why isn't that on here? And, you know, we, we don't put a show on here just for the strength of one or two matches. We look at beginning of the show towards the end of the show. What's a very well-rounded card, a card that had a great match after great match or a lot of great angles on it. And, you know, that Royal Quest show, you had those two strong semi-main main event, but the rest of the card uh, wasn't that great. And so all these shows that we have listed here from the opening match to the main event, great stuff uh, on, on the card, great uh, angles, and just really stood out as the top shows of the year. Yeah, and I mean, um, you mentioned the tournament nights. I mean, in the past, we've had uh, shows of the year contenders from Super Juniors and G1 and, you know, um, New Japan Cup even. And this year, like the only night that we felt looking top to bottom that deserved to get the nomination was G1 Climax Night 5. And when you kind of compare that night to a lot of the other tournament nights, it just had a stronger presentation, which is a bit of an indictment on the overall structure and style of uh, the G1 current in its current incarnation. But uh you know, on this night, you had Sonata and Suji in a very strong main event. Okada versus Taichi, Kiyomiya versus Umino, and Will Ospreay versus Kenta, which were four of the stronger tournament matches, all kind of ranging in the four and a half to like four and three quarter star range, plus, you know, a strong undercard beneath that with like Gabe Kidd and Ren Narita and, you know, uh, Okan and Phantasmo. So one of the better g1 climax nights but it is interesting that this is the one isolated tournament night 
that got uh, nominated for show of the year this year. Yeah, in the past, this category would be like, littered with G1 Knights or Best junior, junior Knights. So, yeah, very interesting to see that. Yeah, there's only one on here, but I think that also kind of lends to the quality of some of these other shows that happen throughout the year. Battle in the Valley, for example, you had Mercedes Monet, kind of her first, you know, U.S., New Japan appearance, and there was a lot of buzz around that show of her match against uh, Kyrie. Then you had Okada and Tanahashi title match in the u.s so a lot of cool things around that and sakura genesis okada sonata um so all these other shows had a lot of great stuff that really elevated it yeah we're not going to run down every single show but i mean just a few quick highlights things that i can think of uh when i look back to the independence day night two uh i think of eddie kingston winning the strong title i think of willow nightingale uh losing the strong women's titles or to Julia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also think of the incredible death match between John Moxley and Desperado as some of the key moments of that show. Yeah, that was a really great, I think those shows are very underrated. Um, I think Wrestle Kingdom, um, I think kind of underrated, but when you look back at it, also, you know, you had the Omega Osprey match, Jay White and Okada, the four-way for the junior title. You had the official debut of Mercedes uh, Monet, and it wasn't the quote-unquote greatest angle, but still a big moment. And uh, Carl Anderson, Tamatonga, you know, a WWE guy at the Dome. There's a lot of kind of big moments and angles that happen at their series, Wrestle Kingdom, which I think really puts it up there as one of the top shows. Um, the Wrestle Kingdom 17 and Yokohama show was notable, not just for being a New Japan versus... Uh, noah show but kind of correcting the course a bit on uh some of the criticisms from the year prior where we did get the big uh series of singles matches between congo and lij that people had been clamoring for and then the show was also very notable for the the shoot kick incident between (laughs) kato kiyomiya versus okada that was very much the talk of the wrestling world at that time yeah so i would say you know Pull up your cage match, you know, Wikipedia, whatever site you like to use. Look at the full card and get a get a chance there of what you want to vote for in that uh, category there. Awesome. So we are going to move on to the Jushin Thunder Liger Junior of the Year. And the nominees are as follows. You have El Desperado, Robbie Eagles, Hiromu Takahashi, TJP. Master Watto, Teton, Leo Rush, and Francesco Akira. And so we've got one, two, three, four, eight of the strongest junior um, nominees this year. Yeah, really great set of nominees here, all of their own kind of unique years. Uh, Francesco Akira, TJP, I kind of lump those guys together. Uh, they're the, the Catch 2 2 tag team. Uh, they IWGP junior tag team champions throughout the grading period. They've really elevated that junior tag title and tag division. And um, they also individually had great super juniors. Uh, Akira had that, a, a standout match with Desperado and uh, TJP had a standout match with Hiromu. So across the board, singles and tags, these guys have done great work. Yeah. I felt like both of them uh, took a lot of big step ups uh, in the singles division, as well as a tag team. Um, you know, Robbie Eagles, a guy that was really having a fantastic super juniors as well, but also has made waves around the country, you know, defected from chaos, joined TMDK, had that incredible match with Romu for the junior title, 
had some awesome work uh, over in Australia, whether it be for PWA along with uh, Kosei Fujita or uh, just as part of the Tamashi brand. Um, his singles match with Kyle Fletcher, which kind of uh, is under the radar just a little bit and is more of an open weight uh, match, is definitely worth your time to go and check out uh one of the definitely the best match of tamashi uh it just in general um but yeah robbie robbie's had a really great year that's kind of unheralded as well yeah i think robbie's always one of those guys that's kind of underrated uh but yeah came in great super juniors you know came back joined team D- tmdk challenged Roma for the junior title um him and uh fajita have been doing good stuff together as a junior tag team so, yeah, another uh, great year for Robbie. Teton was a guy this year that uh, really kind of broke out and was splitting his time between CMLL and New Japan. And to some extent, I almost question whether we should even have him on here because it, technically he's more of a CMLL guy on loan to New Japan. But considering the amount of tours that he was involved in and uh, being a major focal point of both uh, best of the super juniors as well as super junior tag league kind of felt that he was deserving of this, especially with uh, how far and how deep he went into the uh, best of super juniors tournament, something that only Dr. Ragnar jr. Had ever done prior to him at, uh, being a Mexican national wrestler. And um, I guess Eddie Guerrero would be the other one as well, but uh, you know, definitely had a fantastic, fantastic year this year, as well as some of the, the matches he had during fantastic mania. Yeah, so yeah, so two uh, junior tag leagues in the grading period, a super junior tour, getting to the finals, Fantastica Mania. Uh, yeah, Teton has uh, really been a, a great asset to uh, New Japan, being a part of LIJ. Um, he's real. I think he stepped his game up too, just throughout his appearances in the previous years with New Japan. So yeah, that final was really great, and he's definitely a guy that New Japan can always count on now uh, when they bring him in. You know, Leo Rush is a guy that came in this year uh, and it was kind of it's tumultuous because he was here. He was having great matches and then he got hurt and then he was out. Then he came back and it really felt like things were gelling and he was going to stick around for the long haul. Now it's like he's probably done and probably not coming back. Um, And it's kind of unfortunate not to see a payoff to the series of matches that he was having with Hiromu and everything of that nature. But uh, when you consider the work that he did with Yo uh, in last year's uh, Super Junior Tag League at the tail end of the year, and then his uh, Super Juniors, which was fantastic, and some of the matches he had with like Romu and Mike Bailey, uh, it's hard to deny the impact that Leo Rush made. It's so much so a lot of people were calling for him to be the next junior champion. It didn't happen, but uh, that's what a lot of people wanted to see happen. Yeah, he had a really great year uh, in the junior division, and a lot of the work he did, you know, against Hiromu and Speedball, um, teaming with Yo Super Junior Tag League, that that Tokyo Dome match against Catch Two Two, I think he did a, a lot of really great work this year. And yeah, it is unfortunate that things kind of ended the way they did. I mean, hopefully there is an opportunity for him to come back in the future. You know, we, we've seen him wrestle. Pretty much on every big stage over the last, you know, five or so years. And I think New Japan is the stage that he shines the best in. And I think that it's a great platform for him. I think he has a lot of great chemistry with the guys in the division. So, uh, yeah, great year for him. And I do hope that 2024 we could get Leo Rush back in the mix. 
I don't have much more to say about Hiromu. We already kind of touched base on the year that he's had uh, earlier in the show, but the, the, the big two that are left after everything else is Desperado and Watto, and it's probably fittingly, fittingly so because they sort of had an ongoing rivalry with one another throughout the year, kind of culminating in them teaming together in uh, this year's uh, uh, Super Junior Tag League. But prior to that, they, you know, had kind of faced off for the uh, in the four-way at Wrestle Kingdom for the junior title. Um, Watto, of course, won the best of the Super Juniors this year, which a lot of people were a little bit shocked by. And Desperado kind of kept busy uh, whether it was with strong style or having uh, death matches or excursion matches, kind of just keeping his profile flow, even though he wasn't in the central title picture scene while Hiromu kind of held the belt. Both guys sort of felt, found their niche this year. Yeah, definitely a back burner year for Desperado. Uh, not a lot of quote unquote kind of like super big, you know, matches and moments, but like you mentioned, very consistent, a lot of great stuff with strong style. A lot of the death match stuff uh, has been fun for him this year. And then, yeah, Watto, big step up this year, getting to the Super Junior Finals, winning the tournament, um, kind of making that push to try to be the next, you know, top domestic junior star. And great stuff with him and Teton. And, uh, again, after Super Junior, he's kind of been on the back burner. But, yeah, him and Despy teaming together, that was fun in uh, Junior Tag League. And uh, I think uh, Watto should be up for a great 2024. So that's going to take us to the next category, the Tag Team of the Year. So we got Aussie Open, the current IWGP Tag Team Champions, Bishamon. We got Catch 2-2, the current IWGP Junior Tag Team Champions, Clark Connors and Drilla Maloney. Got Gabe Kidd and Alex Coughlin, the Intergalactic Jet Setters, Leo Rush and Yo. We got Team Hall of Fame, Kazuchika Okada. Hoshi Tanahashi and Tomohiro Ishii. We got the TMDK team of Shane Hayes and Mikey Nichols, and then the trio of Strong Style. Yeah, so New Japan not only uh, had a strong tag team year, but they had a lot of great tag teams within the company at this time. Um, we've had this uh, award for quite a while, and I think this is very likely the most nominees we've ever had for this award. And it, it, it's because it was just due. These guys uh, all really went out there and um, made a, a mark for themselves. Um, the first team that I'll mention right off the, the bat is Aussie Open, which it's like it's kind, they have kind of an interesting case because they, uh, you know, they they wound up winning the um, IWGP Tag Team titles this year. They had multiple title defenses and were really uh, having like a great series of matches, whether it be with Bishamon or TMDK and um, even the match they had with Ishii and uh, Leo Rush in Philadelphia was also really great. So they're having this banner year. Everybody's talking about how incredible Aussie Open is. And then boom, poof, they're gone. You know, there's an injury and then they jump ship to AEW <laughs> and they're just gone. And suddenly the case for uh, their candidacy sort of diminished because they just weren't here for the rest of the calendar year. But their the strength of their schedule was so strong in the early part of the year, I think they still have a borderline case. Right. And, of course, you know, our grading period goes back to November of last year. And so, you know, they were in World Tag League. They got to the finals. Uh, 
lost to Bishamon, but it was a great final. They had a great World Tag League. And then, like you mentioned, going forward from there, they do eventually capture the tag team titles from Bishamon. They also defend against TMDK. You mentioned they're going to the U.S. They're defending against Leo Rush and Ishii. Um, they're doing a lot of stuff between Japan and America. And so, yeah, I think that first half of the, the grading period is very, very, very strong. And had they remained um, with New Japan after June, I think that they would probably be a lock to win this. But, yeah, that the second half of that with them being gone is going to hurt their, their chances here. Um, three teams that I'm just going to kind of lump together because they're all in the same division. You've got uh, Bishamon, Gabe Kidd, and Coughlin, as well as TMDK, Haste, and Nichols. And th- that's going to be your main heavyweight units throughout the year. And really, the, a, a lot of the story of this year was Bishamon. Uh, they won the, the World Tag League for a second year in a row. They successfully defended the tag team titles all throughout the year. Um, and they had great matches with Kid and Coglin as well as TMDK. Uh, Kid and Coglin, um, you know, winning their first tag team titles in the strong um, tag team division, uh, didn't have a great per se on points total when it came to World Tag League last year, but kind of rebounded, uh, joined Bullet Club, revamped and reinvented themselves, and had a has had a really killer year this year. And then you got TMDK who, you know, all throughout the year, they've been saying they're the best tag team that's never won the IWGP tag team titles. They had three title uh, shots. They, in the calendar year, they were unsuccessful each time, but you kind of get the feeling that they're right on the cusp of being potentially one of the next champions in New Japan right now with the way things are shaking out. Yeah, I think all three of those teams had a really great uh, year this year, really Elevated the the heavyweight tag division. Bishamon, I mean, these guys, they've they won the World Tag League within this grading period. Um, tag champions, they've done a lot to, you know, be the domestic tag team, top domestic tag team. Uh, Bull Club War Dogs, I mean, those guys have had a banner year. They've, they're making a lot of uh, noise within the tag division as well. And then Hayes and Nichols, kind of that solid, really veteran tag team that's kind of been in the mix with these, these two teams and had... All three of these teams kind of had its on off rivalry this year, but great stuff. Um, I think the next guys we can kind of lump together uh, from the junior tag division, Catch 2-2, Clark Connors, Drill Maloney, the Jet Setters, and Leo Rush and Yo uh, for the top junior tag team this year. Yeah, and I mean, all, all of those teams were involved in the uh, uh, junior, fe- or the <laughs> junior festival, the... Uh, Super Junior Tag League at the end of last year. And then, like you mentioned, within the grading period, we ended up having uh, another Super Junior Tag League this year. Uh, Leo Rush and Yo were not a part of that. Although, were they teamed with other individuals and both still in the tournament during the second one? No. So, Leo was not in the second one. Leo was not there. Yo Yo was was with Musashi. Yeah, right. Uh, But they were in the, the one last year as part of the grading period. They won that one to go on and challenge catch two two at the Tokyo Dome that they, they did team together throughout the first half of the grading period and then also Leo leaves and their their team ends there. But again, very similar case for them to Aussie Open. They had a very strong uh first half of the grading period and I thought yeah. Leo really did a 
a lot elevating Yo, and I thought they they clicked together, they gelled really well, and they were a really great team. I still love the uh, the the Tokyo Dome match they had with the the Hardway, uh, you know, ramp spot. Blood, the ramp spot where Leo Rush was bleeding everywhere. That match was outstanding, and then uh, these other three teams that you mentioned, uh, the Jet Setters, Catch Two Two, as well as the the Bull Club War Dog Junior team. All three of them had runs with the junior titles this year. Um, all three teams, very, very strong years. Uh, Catch to two ended up going on to win this year's super junior tag league. Um, so a lot of, and all, all of those teams ended up wrestling one another and having some of the best matches of the, the calendar year when it came to uh, the junior division, whether that be in tournament action or in vying with one another over the uh, junior tag team titles. A lot of people have said how great this uh, division has kind of turned around. We've got four teams all nominated from the, the same division, which like in years past the junior divisions, when it comes to tag teams, it's kind of been a joke, honestly. Yeah. So yeah, three of those four teams all held the tag tiles this year. Uh, yeah. Really solid teams here. And, you know, I feel like catch two, two, to me, they, 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 I feel like they're an underrated team, but, you know, with the voting so far, they're they're seeing a lot of love in the voting. And so I think, you know, the diehard New Japan fans do uh, respect and love Catch 2-2. So it's cool to see them getting a lot of love in the voting so far. So, yeah, all four of these junior teams, a uh, really great year. And then um, finally, we've got two teams that are both trios. You've got the trio of Strong Style, which sort of uh, – you know, kind of dominated the never open weight title scene in the first quarter of the year. And then you've got uh, the team hall of fame, Tanahashi, Ishii and Okada, which, you know, I'm just going to say it right here. That's my pick for tag team of the year. I don't know if we've never had a trio win this uh, award and it's going to be very tough competition with how many great tag teams there are. I, I don't know necessarily that uh, the odds are in their favor, but um you know, for my estimation, when it comes to top-notch tag team title defenses, I think they probably have the strongest title reign of any of the other four tag team champions that exist in this uh, <laughs> uh, company right now. And, you know, uh, even with Strong Style, it's not just their run with the titles that was noteworthy. It was also the best of seven series that they had at, at the tail end of the year with uh, – Blue Justice Team Nagata that sort of uh, defined their unit now that they're no longer a unit. <laughs> yeah, their last uh, first and last chance here of uh, being uh, named, you know, tag team of the year. Yeah, that the, the best of seven was fun, even though it did end um, in a draw. Uh, but yeah, strong style. They did have a great match against Team Hall of Fame, never six man tag team champion. So uh, that's why they're on here. And then also, yeah, Team Hall of Fame, Okada, Ishii, Tanahashi. Uh, you know, never six man tag team champions. They've really done a great job elevating those titles, carrying that uh, division in, in the second half of the grading period here. And of course, you know that they had that five star incredible match with the the Blackpool Combat Club at Dominion. And you, you look at their resume; there's a, just a ton of great uh, never six man title defenses. Uh, so I think definitely a worthy team here. I mean, there's multiple that I loved that won't even get nominated for tag match of the year because there's just too many, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, following that, we are going to jump into the next award is the Carl Gotch Strong Style Award. 
And this is for that individual that embodies the fighting spirit of strong style within New Japan Pro Wrestling. And the nominees are as follows. We've got Tomohiro Ishii, The Great Okan, Ren Narita, Zack Sabre Jr., Shingo Takagi, Hanare, Gabe Kidd, Eddie Kingston, Taichi, and El Desperado. Yeah, so like you mentioned, you know, these are the guys that are the hardest hitters or, you know, the, the shooters, the you know, that you know, harken back to Carl Gotch and you know the, the true meaning of strong style or, you know, it's your your hard hitters or some um, you know, guys who had some really hard hitting some uh, even some plunder brawls uh this year. And yeah, a really good great collection here of some of the the toughest and roughest in New Japan. Yeah, I mean, we already went through the match of the year um, awards, and I mean, you see a lot of those same names pop up here, uh, whether that's Zack Sabre Jr., Shingo Takagi, Tomohiro Ishii, you know, their names showed up quite a few times, and we're going to have some other award match of the year awards, like the Strong Style Fight of the Year, and you'll see why a lot of these guys are nominated, but, um, you know, it's not always even just about uh the match quality although that is a huge consideration it it is really those guys that you don't want to run into a dark alley (laughs) the guy that's gonna fuck you up and hit you the hardest the one that strikes fear into their opponents and you know who are extremely technical who can tie you up into pretzels who can wring your arm who can uh you know Put you on the mat. They need to stretch you out. Break your back and make you humble. (laughs) Yeah, break your back, make you humble. And that's what these guys do. And, you know, and they they can take an ass beating and they can give it out as just as well as they take it. And, um, you know, uh, the the list of guys, I mean, this right now, in my opinion, is the, the most violent wrestlers in New Japan, which is a pretty violent company in and of itself. Yeah, we kind of highlighted some of these guys already. Obviously, Desperado, a lot of the death match stuff uh, here this year uh, against John Moxley in the, the tag match um, with him and Jun Kasai against Mox and Homicide. And he's just one of the hardest hitting juniors you got there. And we mentioned Zack Sabre Jr., a lot of his stuff in the, the TV tile defenses uh, was really great and kind of more that that Carl Gotch kind of style of uh, strong style. Well, let's uh, let's uh, give a little bit of love and highlight to the guys we didn't talk about. So you got the great Okan here who, uh, you know, in his tag matches has shown his technical acumen and his uh, ability to mix it up in a, a variety of different ways, whether that be incredible clinch work or, uh, you know, mat technique, ground and pound. He is a, a really a master of all trades when it comes to uh taking all these different types of fighting styles and incorporating it into his uh, professional wrestling. And, you know, he, he can strike with the best of them and he can also grapple with the best of them. Yeah. Uh, and then look at his uh, stable mate, Hanare, um, a guy who's always kind of been in the, a hard hitter, but I feel like he really stepped up this year. Like we mentioned earlier, he had that uh, three match series with Chingo with the highlight being that ultimate triad from the road to secure Genesis. Um, yeah. You know, and he continues to incorporate some of the Muay Thai stuff that he's been uh, doing over the last couple of years. And yeah, he's just becoming a really hard, rough and tough brawler. And it's great to watch. Yeah. Anybody that gets their face tattooed the way that he did, they have to be nominated <laughs> for the Carl Koch award. Um, 
you know, also there's a uh, Ren Narita and Gabe Kidd, two uh, LA Dojo standouts, two guys that kind of cut their teeth uh, in the dojo system, but now have sort of made a name for themselves. Uh, surprisingly, they're both bull club members now, but uh, you know, two guys that really were fucking people up this year, essentially. Yeah, I mean, Gabe Kidd, dude, he, he's a madman, you know. This guy, <laughs> the way that he slaps and, and chops and strikes and just all the wild brawls he had in the G1 um, and just a lot of the stuff he's did with him and Colin did with Bishop on this year. I know that the Osprey stuff is kind of more rev pro, but even some of that stuff. And, man, this guy, he's a, he's a tough uh, dude, man. I, I would not want to run into the streets <laughs> with uh, Gabe Kidd. Yeah, Ren Rita showing a lot of uh, the fire that defined his run as, uh, you know, Shibata 2.0, which is also going to go by the wayside. So uh, who knows if he'll be on these awards next year? I I don't know. (laughs) We'll see. But, uh, you know, definitely had a strong year this this year as a member of Strong Style. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we got two guys that are both known for basically being all Japan pro wrestling cosplayers in... (laughs) Uh, Eddie Kingston and Taichi, but both guys had uh, standout years. I mean, Eddie Kingston, obviously, he's not a New Japan contracted wrestler, but we kind of include him here for a few different facts. The fact that he was part of uh, tours with New Japan this year, but also is the current reigning New Japan strong openweight champion. And, you know, you kind of combine the fact that his title status as well as his... uh, you know, tours through the company, namely the uh, his G1 run, plus the style of match that he has in this company is always basically every match he has is going to qualify for being <laughs> considered in this in this style of uh, fighting spirit, you know, uh, Perezu cosplay sort of thing. So I, I think he's a, a good candidate here as well. Yeah, obviously a guy who loves the uh, you know the King's Road uh, style of wrestling. You know, big suplexes on, on the back of the head, big chops, big strikes. Yeah, I think Eddie's always going to be a guy that you you look at when it comes to the Carl Gotch Strong Style Award and our, our Strong Style Fire of the Year, which we'll get to in a bit. And so yeah, um, also winning the strong title, a lot of really great matches this year. Tai Chi, a guy, another guy who feels he's kind of underrated. Um, I mean, his kicks are, are so brutal. A uh, very hard hitter, and like we mentioned, he had a lot, a lot of matches with Shingo throughout the grading period this year, um, and then his G one as well, and uh, a lot matches of the KOP- with Osprey, yeah, the Osprey match and uh, from New Beginning, uh, some of his KOPW stuff, uh, yeah, Tai Chi always always a hard hitter here, absolutely. So that's gonna bring us over to the next category here, the Big Van Vader Gaijin of the Year. So this is going to the the best foreigners in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So our nominees we have Jeff Cobb, Robbie Eagles, David Finley, Shane Hayes, and Mikey Nichols, Mercedes Money, Will Ospreay, El Fantasmo, Leo Rush, Zach Saber Jr., and Tama Tonga. Yeah, I mean, this this award is basically kind of similar to what we had mentioned for Wrestler of the Year, uh, but it's pretty much your opinion on how you view it. It could be you think that this person was the best wrestler who was a foreigner in New Japan this year. It could be uh, this person was the best 
net positive when it comes to ratings and drawing ability and and getting eyes on the product and you know having star aura or being a top you know talent when it comes to storylines and and you know all that sort of stuff so or it could be a combination of those things but it, this is an award designed specifically for non-native non-japanese wrestlers so as you can see Every single person that fits the bill is not just all for white people. Um, <laughs> you know, they can be from any country that's not Japan. It, it, but uh, yeah, and we already kind of talked at length about a lot of these individuals, some of the bigger names from the Wrestler of the Year award. But there's quite a few, and and also Junior of the Year. But uh, quite a few people that also made their mark this year that we haven't talked about yet. Yeah, I think the first one kind of stands out is uh, Mercedes Monet. I'll see uh, the formerly known as Sasha Banks. Uh, a really big deal, you know, towards the beginning of the grading period, I think is when we kind of first heard that she was actually coming in, that she's going to be signing. And then, yeah, she, she, she signs and then makes her big debut at Wrestle Kingdom, which will then lead to uh, her challenging for the IWGP women's title um, against Kyrie at Battle in the Valley. And then she did some... Stuff in stardom. She had the, the the triple threat match, and then eventually dropping the belt to Mayu. She was a part of the strong women's tournament. So uh, Mercedes, even though she's was gone after you know, she got injured, and she was gone for probably like about the second half of the grading period. I think that she had a very impactful first half. There's a, a ton of buzz of her joining New Japan. We we had the Sasha stand staying up at 4 a.m. to watch <laughs> Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, so she brought a lot of buzz to the Western side of things and really, I think, elevated. Like, Battle in the Valley was that one U.S. show. I felt there was a ton of buzz around with her being the, yeah. her, her first, you know, U.S. New Japan match, challenging for the IWP Women's title. Um, so, yeah, Mercedes did a lot to really elevate uh, New Japan in the West. Yeah, and we've had, you know, she's kind of a unique uh, situation because normally we have a, a threshold of how many matches someone needs to have competed in to be considered for awards of this type. And normally it's something like, I don't know, it depends. We change it every year, but you know, it's usually like 10 matches or something like that. Uh, Mercedes obviously didn't compete within a new Japan ring that many times, but I, I feel like the reason we uh, nominated her was probably for two reasons. One, aside from what Jeremy's already mentioned, one, she was a contracted wrestler. I think some of those parameters that we put on is more for like freelance wrestlers and, people from outside companies just to ensure that they actually fit within the overall scope of new Japan and, and have enough uh, participation with, with Mercedes, obviously her dates were limited, but we do happen to know that she was signed to Bushi road, which is a little bit different uh, because this is the only company she was working for at the time. And then the other thing is the amount of uh, dialogue that came along with it and how many eyes were on the product because of her involvement and everything like that. It sort of would seem like a big omission to leave her off of this list in particular. Uh, I don't know if she'll win it or not. I, I haven't looked at how she's doing, but um, you know, one of the bigger names that were involved in new Japan this year that were, you know, non-native uh, aside from that, I, I feel like David Finley has to kind of get uh, the big mention um taking a huge step up turning heel and then um you know basically cutting off jay white's uh exit from the company jumping him 
and sort of, you know, basically cutting that that damning promo on him and then eventually usurping his role as the leader of the Bullet Club and everything that's sort of entailed in the fallout of his, uh, you know, leading the faction and forming the War Dogs and everything that that entailed. Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely a, a big year of moments for Finley, like you mentioned, leading to that, that angle of him, you know, Fully booing out Jay White, yeah, creation of the War Dogs, um, him being never open weight champion, um, you know, lead coming into to, you know, Tokyo Dome season being a part of this uh, triple threat with Moxley and Osprey. I think he's done a lot of stuff to kind of elevate himself and from a kayfabe wise as well as like in ring wise. So you're definitely a guy there to consider. Uh Jeff Cobb, I mean, I think he's a guy that's always gonna be probably nominated as long as he's in New Japan for this award. Just a, a big Strong bruiser, a guy that kind of really fits the, the namesake of uh, Big Van Vader. It's kind of a big foreigner coming in and having these big matches. I, I will say, from a probably from a kayfabe perspective, it was kind of a down year for Cobb. You know, he wasn't he didn't have like a great G one streak like he did. He wasn't really challenging for world titles. He did have the TV World Series uh, with Zack Saber Junior. Um, mm-hmm. Did have uh, World Tag League. I think was he in World Tag League last year. No, that was Hanare and uh, Ocon. So, yeah, he wasn't in World Tag League, but um, he just had some uh, great spotlights throughout the year. You said as long as he's in this company. You know something I don't know, Jeremy? Hey, at, at the rate that <laughs> <laughs> these guys are flying out here, who, who, who knows who is next? <laughs> uh, you know, El Fantasmo, as well as Tamatonga, two guys that uh, – you know, ended the year as teammates uh, in the G.O.D. faction. Didn't start off the year that way. El Fantasmo was a full-fledged B.C. for life at the beginning of the year. And, you know, things changed very quickly uh, with uh, David Finley taking over the group, as we mentioned. And uh, El Fantasmo kind of found himself as a man without a home, uh, coming to blows and being at odds with uh, uh, the Bullet Club found himself ousted in a very similar manner to the way Tamatonga had uh, the year prior, ended up finding a home with G.O.D. Uh, post G1, had a, a really great G1 himself and, um, you know, formed the tag team with Hikaleo. And, uh, you know, we see how that has turned out for him. But uh, El Fantasmo kind of rebranding himself and finding a new uh, face alignment this year. And then Tamatonga sort of, getting a lot of uh, talk around the wrestling industry, a lot of, uh, you know, kind of speculation and rumors about whether he was leaving, whether he was getting offers from WWE, and then, um, I guess, you know, apparently sticking around with the company and everything that that sort of entailed and, you know, um, has very much been in the never titles picture throughout most of the year. Yeah, started off kind of the grading period, you know, he. Feuding with uh, Carl Anderson had the never tile match. Bright lights, bright lights, Carl Anderson. <laughs> uh, had the match uh, with him at the Tokyo Dome, winning the never title there, and then, yeah, winning the title there, and then um, going from there, and yeah, kind of in and out of the never title picture, feuding with the Bullet Club and Bullet Club War Dogs, feuding with Dave Finley. Um, so, yeah, kind of being in that rivalry, kind of really building up GOD as a, a faction. You know, traditionally it was just him and. Tangelo was a team, and now, yeah, you mentioned we got Hikaleo, we got Fantasmo and Jado. It's more of a, of a faction now. Um, so, faction leader, a lot of title matches, good good matches. Yeah, good year for uh, Tam Tonga. Yeah, and we already talked about the rest of these guys, uh, you know, but, you know, just touching base, you got Will, 
Zach, Leo Rush, Robbie Eagles, Hasten Nichols, all of them, you know, as we mentioned earlier, a lot of great accolades and accomplishments this year. Uh, Jeremy, I'm looking at a different list than you are, so why don't you take us through the <laughs> the nominees so we're on the same page? All right, so uh, most improved. So we got Francisco Akira, Dave Finley, Kosei Fujita, Hanare, Hikaleo, Kevin Knight, Ray Oiwa, Teton, Shota Umino, and Master Wato. Yeah, this is always one of those hard-to-predict uh, uh, categories just because a lot of people's interpretation of what most improved means varies very wide, wildly, whether that be uh, improvements in terms of character standing, their in-ring work, their persona. Um, there, there's a lot of different ways to kind of see this, and you can kind of see our line of logic and thinking when you look at each individual because some of them haven't really improved in terms of ring work but have improved in other ways within the company and then vice versa you can kind of see that reflected here in these nominees yeah i always remember you know i think it was the 2018 awards where we nominated zach saber jr and people were like how how can you nominate zach like he hasn't really improved but his standing in the company definitely elevated that year and tapping out everybody immensely. Yeah. Winning the new Japan cup. Uh, so yeah, so it, it can be. also, he did get better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has gotten better. Yeah. Like, let's not lie to ourselves. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, the kayfabe accomplishments and kind of standing in the company plays a lot here. And I feel like you can look at every guy here and kind of point out some major, kayfabe accomplishments and then a lot of guys too on top of that have improved in ring yeah i mean again teton his run through the super juniors probably the big impetus there hikaleo his his run in the g1 and then his success uh, as a member of uh god the new version of god along with el Fantasmo, securing gold um shota amino as well as um Oh, you know, I guess the rest of those guys aren't here. Uh, Shota Amino, though, in the past calendar year, the way that he has improved and kind of the perceptions behind him this past year, uh, kind of like at the beginning of the year, some people even saying, like, I don't know about this guy. And then by the end of the year, people, you know, willing to declare, like, this is our guy. We're going, you know. He's I, going was, I, I always knew he had it. <laughs> you know, Watto, Watto winning the big one. Um, finally winning the best of super juniors, not winning the title, but winning the best super juniors. <laughs> yeah. Watto mania running wild during May. Uh, you know, Francisco Akira, uh, great year of catch two, two. And we talked about him in junior of the year. Dave Finley, we just talked about him with, uh, you know, now leading the bull club war dogs, Kosei Vegeta, uh, you know, one of the first young lines to be a part of a faction before, Officially mm-hmm. graduating and kind of, you know, really stirring up the pot there with his other young lion um, classmates. And we saw a lot of cool stuff with him, you know, teaming with Zach, teaming with Robbie Eagles, uh, teaming with TMDK, uh, Hayes and Nichols throughout the year. Uh, Kevin Knight, great stuff for the Jet Setters with him and Kushida. Uh, Oiwa. And his graduation. That's right. Yeah, graduated through the, the end of the grading uh, beginning of the grading period and then um yeah him and he, he, the the singles match he had with clark connors at the all-star junior festival uh is also a standout moment for him as well yeah and winning the junior tag titles uh in the grading period so 
Good stuff for him there. Oiwa, um, another standout, and you know he's now uh, in Noah on his excursion. So first young lion to take a domestic excursion. Um, so that's been interesting. And then he came back and had that match with Zach, and then he was in the World uh, Tag League with uh, Kimia, which I know that kind of counts towards next year's grading period. But overall, a uh, really great year for uh, Oiwa. Yeah, we mentioned Finley and Hanare, but both of those guys stepping up in um, different ways, whether that be ring work or their persona. Um, just a, a lot of improvement here. So um, that is going to do it. That's our most improved this year. Yeah, then up next we have a new category actually uh, proposed by the young boy Josh Smith, the Joshi of the Year Award. So, you know, this year we had uh, the creation of two women's titles in New Japan, the IWGP women's title and the New Japan Strong women's title. So here's the thing. It's like it's funny because. Joshi obviously is a designation of a very particular style of wrestling in Japan, which is Japanese women's wrestling is Joshi wrestling. Well, I mean, this is Japanese wrestling company and these are women and <laughs> Joshi does mean women. I, I believe, I believe the, the translation is either girl or woman or lady. One of those three, I looked it up, but I, I can't recall off the top of my head. So I wanted to name this award, the Joshi of the year, because it will be so funny when people like James Boyd learn that Stephanie Vakur is the <laughs> Joshi of the year. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, uh... so it is a little tongue in cheek. Obviously I, we know that whoever wins this award is not the top Joshi in all of, you know, I, there are people who will get very touchy about that. I understand it. It is a little tongue in cheek, but, uh, you know, then again, it, it does qualify. It is Japan. This is women's <laughs> wrestling. It is happening here. Yeah. So, uh, so our nominees, we have the current strong women's champion, Julia, the current IWGP women's title, a women's champion, Mayu Iwatani, Kyrie. Mercedes Monet, Willow Nightingale, and Stephanie Vacker. Yeah, so um, not a ton of candidates, but I feel like these were the primary uh, women that wrestled in New Japan or under a New Japan banner, whether that be uh, in a New Japan ring or representing New Japan by carrying that, that title and wrestling, uh, whether it's in stardom or ring of honor, what have you. Um, but uh, we had some uh, looking back on it. I know that this sort of seemed like an understated thing. Um, the, the, the women's wrestling experiment within new Japan. But when you look back at the amount of great title matches that were produced, uh, it, it actually is kind of surprising. We'll get to that. Cause we do have a, uh, you know, a Joshi match of the year this year as well. But uh, all of these women that were nominated are involved in the top matches of New Japan for women this year. Yeah, all of them were yeah, involved in either the IWGP women's title picture or the strong women's title picture and having a lot of great stuff. Uh, also, you know, you, you joked about Stephanie Vercure, but she had that breakout match uh, with Mercedes Monet earlier in the year that got a lot of uh, eyeballs on her. Uh, Willow Nightingale, you know, she won. She's the first strong women's champion and got uh, a lucky break, literally, with uh, Mercedes getting hurt in that match and her winning the title. Then um, she faced off Julia in uh, Independence Day, and then Julia's been defending the title several times um, in stardom. 
I almost considered should we have nominated Willow Nightingale for Fighting Spirit Award? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She wasn't supposed to go over, but she's like, I'm going over. We, we mentioned we mentioned Mercedes earlier, but one thing we didn't uh, point out was the amount of fantastic matches that she had during this uh, time in New Japan, whether it be with Kyrie or, like you mentioned earlier, the the triple threat match with Izumi and um, who else was in that? Was it Hazuki? Uh, yeah, I think it's either yeah either Hazuki or Starlight Kid. I can't remember right now. Maybe it was Starlight Kid. I can't recall. Um, she had the match with uh, Mayu Iwatani in stardom. She had a lot of really great matches uh, during her time here. And then, uh, you know, Julia and Mayu have kind of dominated the title scene throughout most of the year. Mayu's actually carried the title, her title, a bit longer than Julia. But Julia's had more title defenses with the strong women's belt throughout the calendar year. Yeah, and, you know, they have been putting a lot of those stuff up on New Japan World. So you can check out some of their Defenses there, but yeah, all these women had uh, really good uh, years. Kyrie, she was the first uh, IWGP Women's Champion, won the title um, towards the beginning of the grading period, and then had the defense at the Tokyo Dome against um, Tam Nakano, and then going off the face, uh, dropping the belt to Mercedes. So kind of a short run there, but uh, you know, she was the first champion and had some good matches in the, in the run. Well, it's gonna be interesting to see if like. Uh, Mercedes gets the 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 nom just based on the name value alone, um, or if it is in fact because of the quality of of matches that she had, or if like some of the 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 Joshi Stardom freaks are going to you know flood the votes and kind of give the nominee to you know one of the more traditional Joshi women, whether that's Julia, Mayu, Kyrie, that sort of thing, and then. Uh, you know, Willow is still very, very popular here in the States. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out. Yeah. So next up, we got Feud of the Year. So our nominees are Aussie Open versus Bishamon, Bullet Club versus Girls of Destiny, Catch 2-2 versus Jet Setters, Kazuchika Okada versus The New Generation, Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay, Hanare versus Shingo Takagi, Jeff Cobb versus Zack Sabre Jr. Just four guys versus United Empire. The Rewa Musketeers. Leo Rush versus Hiromu Takahashi. Sonata versus former Parejas. And Team Nagata versus Strong Style. Yes, we got 12 feuds here. And, um, you know, some of them are just purely an in-ring based feud whether that's a two or three match series that, you know, that's pretty much it. There's no other story beats. It's, it's just, you know, a match between two men or a match between two teams. Um, Some of these feuds are more based around an entire factions storyline, like an ongoing thing. For instance, GOD versus bullet club, which kind of spans the entirety of the year, whether that be, uh, you know, all the different variations of G.O.D. versus all the different variations of of Bullet Club and all that entails. And then some things are more story based and not necessarily tied around a match. You know, Sonata taking on all his former L.I.J. members throughout the calendar year in his big title matches. Uh, kind of the same thing when you look at uh, um, 
Okada versus the new generation and Kiyomiya is included in that. So that, that whole thing um, there, you know, and I would say that that's pretty much the three main types of feuds that we have cataloged here. Yeah. So again, it's, it's you, you have your choice of how are you going to vote? Are you, you more into a few that has a ton of matches? You, you, you know, you might look at it like the United empire versus just four guys where you had a lot of multi-man, and plus each member of the faction was kind of feuding off. You know, you had Osprey Taichi, you had Catch 2-2 against Kanemaru and Doki. There was a lot going on there, or even like Aussie Open and Bishamon, where they had several matches, or, you know, this over-encompassing Bullet Club versus G.O.D. feud, which does go back to, you know, Tama feuding with Carl towards the beginning of the grading period, which leads into the whole G.O.D. becoming more of a faction and feuding with the War Dogs. So that that whole rivalry. Jay White getting kicked out of the company. Yeah. All of that. Yeah, Hikaleo beating uh, Jay White. So, yeah, that, that Bullet Club G.O.D. Yeah, go literally has pretty much lasted the whole grading period. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, there's like uh, some match series. Like, uh, for instance, like Zack Sabre and Jeff Cobb. Three really incredible, uh, you know, singles matches. Two of those were title matches, one in the G1. Or you might look at, like, Osprey Omega. They just had the two matches, but the the heat and the story kind of surrounding them and, you know, the, the, the feud being centered around this generational thing as well as, you know, fighting over the United States title and all that entailed, uh, you know, it, it kind of just depends on what your taste is. And then... Even Strong Style versus Team Nagata is a best of seven series with a lot of backstory and, and a lot of uh, individual motivations with the with the six individual personalities found between those teams. Yeah, and that best of seven was the launch to have, you know, Suzuki Nagata team up, to have um, Wato and Despi team, to have Narita and Umino team. So that rivalry kind of sprung forth a lot of other storylines that happened afterwards. Another one that we didn't touch base on, but the Rewa Musketeers, which isn't necessarily a series of matches, although there were matches, I think a lot of it kind of centers around what took place in the A block during this year's G1 and the fallout from it. But it's also kind of an understated sort of understanding and personal rivalry professionally as well amongst Suji umino and narita and how they view themselves in the light of one another right i think once the the announcement came out that they were officially being labeled the rewa musketeers there was a ton of interviews from all three guys kind of talking about each other and you know aiming to not want to be a musketeer they want to break it on their own so there was a lot of promos interviews a lot of kind of jabbing at each other throughout the year just from being labeled musketeers and then like you mentioned the a block saw them uh, face off uh, we got to move on from this, but one last thing I'll throw out there. Hanara Shingo fucking rocked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, we got Faction of the Year. So we got the Bullet Club War Dogs, Chaos, Gorillas of Destiny, Hauntai, House of Torture, Just Five Guys, Los Ingobernables de Japón, TMDK, and the United Empire. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough one. You know, every year we like to uh, award what was the dominant faction of the year, the most popular faction of the year. And, you know, I'm not going to unload the accolades of each one of these groups. A lot of them had champions. A lot of them had successes. 
Um, you know, the one thing I will say, Bull Club War Dogs and um, just five guys, two of your newer teams being added to the fold this year. Um, yeah, and this is the first year that we've actually broken out factions from Bull Club. I, I listened back yeah. to, the, to the audio last year, and we were even debating on, you know, are we actually going to start breaking out these multi-Bull Club units? And we, we did it this year, so yeah, you got War Dogs on there, you got House of Torture on there. You know, G.O.D. was a debate because technically they're, they're still part of Hontai, but they now have five members. They have their own logo there. Once you got five guys, you know, then once you're at just five guys, <laughs> I, I just assume <laughs> that you're a faction. Yeah. You're a faction. Yeah. You know, traditionally, L.I.J. has won this award numerous times in the past. United Empire broke that streak last year and won. Um, so both of those teams are seeing a lot of uh, favorable voting right now. Uh, so yeah, a lot of great factions here. You could look at the members, look at the accomplishments, and uh, cast your vote for that category. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a popularity contest on this one, is it not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so next up, newcomer of the year. So this is awarded to uh, the the best newcomer in the grading period. So we have Oscar Loibe, Drilla Maloney, Mercedes Manet, Ren Narita. Callum Newman, Bolton Oleg, Yota Suji, and Shota Umino. Yeah, so uh, with Newcomer of the Year, it's kind of interesting because uh, a rule that we had made a few years ago is that we would allow guys to have two entries into Newcomer of the Year. The first time would be when they entered and made their official debut coming out of the dojo as Lions. And then the second time, would be when they would be reintroduced with the new gimmick and, and everything that that entailed. Cause it's almost like two entirely different people and two entirely different iterations of their career. Although technically they're the same person. So, you know, that's, that's why you're seeing like, for instance, uh, you know, um, Suji and Umino, Suji and Umino and Narita and Narita, all, all three listed here, even though they've been in the company prior to this. Right, so yeah, a lot of those guys they made their debuts either their re-debuts either at the beginning of the grading period <clears throat> or some point within this grading period. You know, you had Suji coming back um, at Dominion. Uh, Renarita came back towards uh, the beginning of the grading period to uh, win the TV or be a semifinalist in the TV title tournament, and then uh, Umino also came back towards the beginning of the grading period after a uh, historic crossover. Yeah, and then we've also got the Young Lions, Oleg Bolton, Oscar Luebe, Yuto Nakashima, you know, all those guys. And then you could even lump in Calum Newman's, you know, debut. He's very much, I wouldn't say he's a Young Lion, but he's very much, you know, the Young Gun of the United Empire, kind of seen in that similar um, status currently uh, as to all those guys. And they, they've all been very impressive this year. Yeah, then uh, Drill Maloney uh, kind of came over from the, the Rev Pro connection initially, joining United Empire, turning on them, joining the, the Bullet Club War Dogs. He's been a great addition to the the, the roster. And then we talked about Mercedes uh, Monet already. So, yeah, that's our, our newcomer of the year uh, nominees there. Yep. Then we got the uh, Joshua Smith Young Lion, Young Boy of the, the Year Award. Uh, so let's go. Yeah, we we used to call it the Young Boy Award, but we were 
we were admonished by uh, <laughs> Alex Coughlin, so it's now the Yellowlining of, of the Year award. Uh, so our nominees, we got Kosei Fujita, Oscar Loibe, Yuto Nakashima, Callum Newman, Bolton Oleg, and Rohe Oiwa. Yeah, and I, I mean, there's not a lot to add here, but the one thing that is interesting is like Fujita and Oiwa were started off the year as like the senior members of this group and have since left to go off on to excursion. And you kind of have to consider once they leave for excursion, that's like the cutoff of this period, but you never know how people are going to take it when they see these names listed versus like Luebe, uh, Nakashima, you know, um, Oleg, as well as like Cal Newman, they've all been in the company for a lesser amount of time. So it's going to be interesting to see if people have taken to these newer personalities during this uh, grading period more so than the more well-established and known Oiwa and Fujita. Yeah, you know, the thing with Callum Newman, I know technically he's not a quote-unquote like traditional young lion, but, you know, they do call him like the, the you know, young lion of the United Empire. He is training in the dojo. Um, he essentially, you know, eats all the pinfalls. He's essentially, yeah, the the young lion for the United Empire, and it's kind of slotted in that position. So that's why we chose to um, include him here in this category. But yeah, so all these guys are really good years. These are your your young lions for the grading period. So let's move on to the next category, the Fighting Spirit Award. So this is awarded to um, a wrestler that's that's shown you know fighting spirit throughout the year. You know, some years it's a uh, a real life kind of overcoming moment, kind of like last year's winner, Gabe Kidd, uh, overcoming his uh, mental health issues. A lot of times it's kayfabe accomplishments. It's guys having Last big runs. Um, there's a lot of different kind of things that could encompass the the fighting spirit coming back from a nasty injury. Um, so our nominees here we have Bishamon with back to back World Tag League wins. We have Hiromu as the All Star Junior with all his work in the junior division this year. We have Ishi Okada and Tanahashi, the trio's kingpins. Muto. Bye bye, Kiji Mutos. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for leaving. <laughs> final run. Uh, Nagata, Triple Crown, Blue Justice. Naito with the G1 hat trick. New Japan Strong with the Japan arrival. Osprey, the real world champion. Rocky Romero as the top Rudo. Sonata finally wins the big one. Tenzon, the fierce bull, rides again. Watto, Boss J, Grandmaster, and then Zack Sabre Jr., the modern defense breaker. Yeah, and I mean, we don't need to go into to depth with what these are, but I mean, you know, essentially, they're very self-explanatory. Jeremy, I think you did a great job giving descriptive titles so hopefully those who are informed and following the product can kind of know what we're, uh, you know, addressing there. But Zach, obviously, he broke the, the the modern record for all-time title defenses. That's a big deal. Hiromu, not only having all these title defenses as a junior, but the work that he did amongst the other companies and all his excursion matches and bringing, making the connections, bringing people in and everything like that. Naito won the G1 for a third time. It's a big deal. We already talked about the fantastic run of Ishii, Okada, and Tanahashi. Uh, Muto's isn't just, you know, uh, I think some people look at that and think of it as a Noah thing, but 
keep in mind, he did face Naito in his final match to to draw that big house at the Tokyo Dome. And but he, he also did have a final run in New Japan as well. Yeah, he had that six man at uh, January 4th, Wrestle Kingdom. He also had the moment where he uh, missed it, Great Okan. So there's a lot of stuff that had Muto involvement in New Japan. And so, again, also with being, you know, one of the, the probably one of the top people in New Japan history, I think it was very important to kind of acknowledge him and his final run here. But, you know, the other stuff is its accomplishments. Osprey being seen as, you know, the top champion in New Japan, even though he's not the world champion. Sonata being the world champ- champion and finally climbing over the big hill, which is Okada. Wato winning the Super Juniors, Nagata winning the Triple Crown Championship outside of New Japan. I think maybe possibly the oldest uh, All Japan Triple Crown title holder of all time. Bishamon back to back. We're gonna have to give them another back to back. They're, they're gonna have the, the hat trick award next year, yeah. And then uh, New Japan Strong finally arriving at Cork and Hall to much acclaim. That's a big deal. And Rocky Romero. Uh, all the work that he did in Mexico and being basically like CML, one of one of if not uh, CML's MVP and winning a world title over there, and you know ha- having all these great acclaimed matches with Volador as well as uh, Mascara Dorada, and then um, you know the, I think the one sentimental thing that I wanted to throw on there was Tenzon, and I, it's just the the that one last uh, never six man tag team title match where they had him go out there and challenge for the titles. And they almost made me believe that he could win it. And they had the video packages and, and the sentimentality and everything like that. I loved that shit. Yeah, that was really good. And yeah, the nice little touch there and kind of, yeah, trying to give Tenzon one last big spotlight before he potentially retires. So yeah, that definitely had to uh, make it on the list. So then that will take us to the strong style fight of the year. So earlier we, we talked about the, you know, the Carl Gotch strong style award. And now these are some of the, the fights of the year that those guys were in. Uh, so we have Zack Sabre Jr. versus Ren Narita from January 4th. Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega from January 4th. Kaito Kiyomiya and Yoshiki Inamura versus Kazuchika Okada and Togi Makabe from January 21st. Hanare versus Shingo Takagi from April 2nd. Shingo versus Taichi from April 29th. El Desperado versus John Moxley from July 5th. Hanare versus Shingo from July 19th. Eddie Kingston versus Tomohiro Ishii from July 26th. Gabe Kidd versus Kaito Kiyomiya from July 27th. Hanare versus Ishii from August 2nd. Shingo versus Ishii from October 14th. And then John Moxley versus Great Okan. From November 4th. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think we probably overestimated what adding the award show to a regular episode would be like. So, <laughs> you know, in the, in the sake of brevity, I'm not going to go over the matches, but these what these matches are and what you should be looking for and voting on is this is the match that most felt like a fight. It's the fight of the year. It's not the wrestling match of the year. It's not the most acclaimed match, although you probably do want to vote for something that you enjoyed and that is very highly acclaimed, but it's the thing that most embodied, holy shit, what the fuck am I watching? (laughs) This is a real fight. And it it could be your bruiser brawling, head drop extravaganza or the match where guys are throwing the most kicks, punches, and chops and all that stuff, or it could be the blood fest where somebody is is 
caught a gusher and is all over the place, or it could be a plunder death match. You know, there's a lot of different style of matches that we've nominated here. It's not just one particular trope, but regardless of what we've nominated, they're all extremely violent. You want to pick the one that resonated the most with you. That was the most visceral. Yeah. You know, a match like Omega Osprey is not something we would normally put on here. Cause that's more of your traditional match mm-hmm. of the year. But that match was so violent, so hard hitting. Like Kenny was killing Osprey that match. We had to throw it on here. Well, even like Okada, the, the tag match from Wrestle Kingdom 17 in Yokohama isn't what we would traditionally put on here but then that kick from Kiyomiya and the fallout it almost was more of an angle but the it 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 literally is one of the most violent things that happened in in a new japan ring this year so it was like uh, we can't leave that off (laughs) yeah and yeah there are some matches that you know um the Gabe kid and and Kiyomiya match in particular maybe isn't the most high-end match that we have but the way that those two guys went at each other, it's like, we can't fucking leave it off. It was so violent. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're winding down here. Only a few more categories. Uh, next up, we got junior match of the year. So obviously this is for the, the best match from the junior division. So nominees are Doki and Kanamaru versus Catch 2-2 from February 4th. Hiromu Takahashi versus Yo from February 5th. Soberano Jr. vs. Teton from February 20th, 27th. Hiromu vs. Leo Rush from March 21st. Hiromu vs. Speedball Mike Bailey from May 12th. Hiromu vs. TJP from May 19th. Desperado vs. Akira from May 21st. Leo Rush vs. Speedball from May 23rd. Wato vs. Speedball from May 26th. Desperado vs. Teton from May 26th. Wato vs. Teton from May 28th. And then Hiromu versus Wato from June 4th. <laughs> so the way I'm seeing it, to give a brief overview, you've got a majority of the May matches, which are essentially your best of the Super Juniors matches. So a lot of Super Juniors on here. Then you got a bunch of Hiromu title defenses, which kind of round out the rest of it. You got the Soberano Junior versus Teton match, which is technically a CMLL Fantascomania match that happened to take place here. So that's the one like true blue luchador match that we've got nominated, but they're within the weight limit. Mm-hmm. It is a junior match. <laughs> and then you got Doki and Kanemaru versus Catch 2-2, which is the one lone standout junior tag team title match that is kind of included here as well. So uh, a lot of super juniors on this list. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, we've been kind of, Lacking from junior spotlight the last several years with the pandemic and the way the schedule's been changed up. And yeah, we had our, our springtime super juniors. We had a lot of new faces like Speedball and Leo Rush in there. And yeah, we, the tournament produced a lot of matches and they're, they're all over the ballot here. Yeah. Uh, I'll just throw a little bit of love out there for Desperado and Francesco Akira, something that sticks in my mind this year. Yeah, definitely a great matchup there. And I think a shout out to, like, we mentioned Leo Rush and Speedball earlier. Uh, but, yeah, those guys are all over this ballot, too, as well. That match rules. Yeah. So then next up, the Joshi match of the year. So, like we mentioned earlier, first time including uh, the women in the award. So uh, we've got their own category here for match of the year. So we have Mercedes Monet versus Kyrie from February 18th. Mercedes Monet versus Azumi and Hazuki from April 8th. 
Mayu Iwatani versus Mercedes Monet from April 23rd. Mercedes Monet versus Stephanie Recur from May 21st. Willow Nightingale versus Julia from July 5th. Mayu Iwatani versus Utami Hayashista from August 13th. And then Mayu Iwatani versus Stephanie Recur from November 10th. See a lot of Mercedes. See a lot of Mayu on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, these were the top of the top from the the women's matches that happened in either a New Japan or Stardom ring. Uh, the Stardom matches we included were either strong women's or IWGP women's title matches. Yeah, and uh, like hypothetically, there were title defenses in Ring of Honor. If they had reached a certain level of quality, we would have included that too. But uh, yeah, some some great stuff here, and I, I look forward to see what uh, most of the populace thought was the best women's match this year. Then next up, we have Angle of the Year. So we have Mercedes Mercedes Monet's New Japan debut. Zack Sabre Jr. becomes the front man of TMDK. Muto challenges Naito for his last match. Kaito Kiyomiya shoot kicks Kazuchika Okada. David Finley outs Jay White. Sonata joins just five guys. The War Dogs assemble. Brian Danielson challenges Kazuchika Okada at Forbidden Door. Yota Suji's return from Excursion. Jun Kasai steps into NJPW ring for the first time. Yoshinobu Kanemaru turns on just five guys. And David Finley destroys the U.S. and U.K. titles. Yeah, uh, a lot of really great uh, angles that played out here. We had a lot more listed that we had to kind of cut down for the sake of the award. And I I am interested to see what kind of connected the most with the new Japan audience. I kind of got a weird feeling what I think it's going to be, but you just never know. Uh, The awards are hard to predict. Um, One thing I'll throw a shout out for Kanemaru returning on uh, (laughs) just five guys. Cause that shit got me. (laughs) Yeah. That, that deserves a lot more love than it's gotten so far, but yeah. Oh really? I, I haven't looked at the awards. I don't know what any, anything's doing. Yeah, I think that was uh, a really great angle. I, just want to I think work. I voted that like number two. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Suji's return, I think that should get some love uh, coming back and uh, attacking Sonata um, at the end of, what show was that that he came back before Dominion? Um, was it Secure Genesis that he attacked him? Or Who? Was it, uh, Suji. I don't know. I forget I forget what show that he made that did the post. Dominion. No, he. That's when he had the match against against Sonata. The, the previous show, he came back and attacked him and did the post match kind of challenge. Was the G one finals? What was it not? No, suit G one's after. Oh, the oh, oh, yeah. Maybe it was a Kurt Genesis. I don't know, man. I, I lose track of all this shit. Whatever the May show was or whatever. Uh, You're asking came. the wrong person. This is the person <laughs> that all year you were like, "What? What do you think about these awards?" I'm like, I don't remember anything. But either way, Suji returning was an awesome uh, moment there. Yeah, and there's, I think all of these moments deserve, you know, recognition. But, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, like, are you a fan of Finley, you know, taking the mallet to the, to the, to the belts? Are you a fan of uh, Okada getting kicked in the face? Are you a fan of, you know, Mutos hanging it up? Like, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah. So uh, on the uh, third to last award here, so we have the tag team match of the year. Our nominees are Bishamon versus Aussie Open from December 14th. 
Doki, Taichi, Kanamaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. versus Desperado, Archer, Suzuki, and Taka from December 23rd. Kaito Kiyomiya and Yoshiki Inamura versus Okada and Makabe from January 21st. Doki and Kanamaru versus Catch 2-2 from February 4th. Bishamon versus Tanahashi and Okada from March 6th. Bishamon versus Aussie Open from April 8th. Aussie Open versus Leo Rush and Ishii from April 16th. Mox, Shooter, and Wheeler Utah versus Okada, Rocky, and Ishii from May 21st. Claudio Moxley Umino versus Tanahashi Okada and Ishii from June 4th. Tanahashi, Kiyomiya, and Kento Miyahara versus Okada, Kano, and Yuma Aoyagi from June 9th. The Elite, Eddie Kingston and Ishii versus the Blackpool Combat Club, Konosuke Takeshita and Chota Umino from June 25th. And then Desperado and Jun Kasai versus Homicide and John Moxley from July 4th. Yeah, we mentioned earlier that the tag divisions in New Japan have been excellent this year. Uh, Very well booked, lots of great matches, and this award goes to show you. I think that we've done this award for like two or three years now, and I feel confident that this is the strongest collection of tag matches uh, since the inception of these awards. Um, And, I mean, we can't go through all of them, but like, the only, the only thing I worry about is that people will get overwhelmed by, by the amount of <laughs> uh, people that were involved and the names and trying to recall it all. But, like, do yourself a favor. Go back. Look into, you know, look on whatever you want to look at. Wh- whatever you use online to kind of catalog this stuff. But go back and look in the history books. And, like, you're going to see, like, 12 really, really high-end, top-notch tag team matches here ranging from world tag league all the way up to like you mentioned july so you know the death match with desperado kasai homicide and john moxley and everything in between the the all together again um ace match was fantastic the dissolution of suzuki goon one of the most emotional moments of the year like there, there's a lot here yeah like you said this category we started this category a couple of years ago and i feel like we had a little bit of hard time like all right, what are we going to pick here? I think the floor was a little bit lower for this category compared to the other match of the year categories. But then, like you mentioned, this year was just absolutely incredible. There were so many great tag matches on here. So, yeah, do your due diligence and check out your, your ratings and reviews for all those stuff there. So then uh, second to last, we have the news story of the year. So we got uh, Mercedes Monet signing with Bushi Road. WWE's Carl Anderson defends at Wrestle Kingdom. Kenny Omega returns to NJPW and wins the U.S. title. NJPW back on Access TV. The end of weekly New Japan Strong. The NJPW Academy replaces the LA Dojo system. Kiji Muto retires. The NJPW Strong Women's Title Tournament all together again. Will Ospreay, Jay White, Juice Robinson, Aussie Open, and Kevin Kelly signing with AEW. Kota Ibushi's NJPW contract officially expires and the NJPW World relaunch. You know, not a lot that we got to delve into here. It's the news stories. We lived it. We covered it. You guys heard it. You remember it. And now you just got to tell us what you think was the most meaningful news story of the year. I've got a feeling what I think it's going to be, but uh, we'll see. Yeah. 
So then our last category here, uh, one of our favorites, definitely a labor of love for this show and this uh, awards is the excursion match of the year. So our nominees are Doki and Minoru Suzuki versus Jun Kasai and Tomioka Hanma from December 19th. Shingo Takagi versus Taichi from December 19th. And those are both from uh, JTO. Rocky Romero versus Volador Jr., from January 20th, that's CMLL. Yuji Nagata versus Kento Miyahara from February 19th, All Japan. Kazuchika Okada versus Kaito Kiyomiya, February 21st. Rocky Romero versus Masako Dorado 2.0 from July 28th. Luke Jacobs versus Tomohiro Ishii, August 26th. Will Ospreay versus Shingo Takagi from August 26th, that was the, uh, the Rev Pro show. Will Ospreay versus uh, Naomichi Marafuji of uh, Pro Wrestling Noah. Brian Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr. from October 1st. Will Ospreay versus Speedball Mike Bailey from October 21st. And then Will Ospreay versus the walking weapon Josh Alexander, October 22nd. Yeah, so you got Impact from Canada. You got Just Tap Out and All Japan Pro Wrestling, as well as NOAA domestically in Japan. CMLL from Mexico, Rev Pro from the UK, um, and AEW from the United States. So that's like seven different companies represented on this year's excursion match of the year list, uh, ranging from you know four different countries. Uh, pretty extensive and varied list. Um, the one thing I will say. And we say this every year, and I'm not going to, again, just for the sake of brevity, we can't jump into all these matches, although they deserve it. Um, whatever wins, and it, it'll it probably be one of the, the more high-end matches that a lot of people saw, but whatever wins, regardless of that, if you are a New Japan fan and you know these guys, but you didn't watch these matches, I would say go out of your way just for your, not for the benefit of voting, but more for the benefit of you as a fan and your own enjoyment of the product and of the sport, seek these matches out because this isn't just a category. And you could do this with all of our uh, match of the year awards lists. And that's one of the things I'm proud of that we do with these awards. It's not just that we crown and name who's going to win, but we also give credit to the nominees, but these particular excursion matches are some of the best matches that you're going to see around the world. Almost all are virtually in the four and a half star and above range involving new Japan talent. And a lot of it is stuff that you guys probably didn't see. That was maybe a little bit more under the radar. Go out of your way and watch it because you're going to fucking love it. Yeah. I think the good thing, a lot of these matches are, I think are pretty easily accessible. You know, a lot of the CMLL stuff is on YouTube um, you know, New Japan's put a lot of the Impact and Rev Pro stuff up on uh, New Japan World. Uh, a lot of the stuff you, you can find that they're, uh, you know, they've put, again, a lot of stuff on YouTube, New Japan World, Google, so you can find a lot of these stuff. And, yeah, a lot of really great matches here. So, you know, you have some time to vote, so you have some time to, to re-watch some of these matches. And even not just for voting, like Josh mentioned, like, these are great, you know, just stuff to watch. You know, people always ask us, oh, Give us some recommendations. What should we watch? And yeah, this category, match of the year, strong style fight of the year, tag match of the year, junior of the year, Joshi match of the year, all those are essentially a great playlist that you can fire up your New Japan world or, or YouTube for the excursion stuff or wherever you go to 
and yep. you can sit through and watch these matches. Yeah. Well, that is it. That is the awards this year. Go out, make your voices heard. You guys, we, we've said this every year. We determine the nominees. You determine the winners. We have no say in who wins these awards. It's completely voted on by you, the listener, and those that you share this these awards with. But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the results. Me and Jeremy, we love compiling the points and then picking out the pictures and tweeting out the winners and mm-hmm. uh, seeing if the wrestlers care. <laughs> Which, surprisingly, a lot of them do. <laughs> uh, we, we have a question here from Rambo and Slam Pig. He says, what are your thoughts on how we will look back on 2023? Is this year going to be seen as we transition to the next era? Or do you expect that process to take a few more years and this to be more looked at? at as the tail end of the pandemic era um oh that's a that's a very loaded question i i'm feeling like this should be a transitionary period and we've been proclaiming all year that it is and now suddenly with some of the things that are happening uh in the world of professional wrestling um maybe it's not maybe it could hypothetically be the start of a downturn Um, that was brought upon by the pandemic and brought upon by the expansions of WWE and AEW and new Japan, maybe not reading the the room correctly and adjusting their practices of building talent to prepare for that. Um, so it does feel, I don't know. It feels like the beginning of, of a down year. And I kind of point to, the anticipation for wrestle kingdom this year and and also the card that we have on on the docket as evidence of that and hopefully i'm wrong hopefully we are getting ready to have some sort of expansion and and new era with new talent but it just feels like the the guys that we're getting ready to elevate we're elevating we've elevated them a little too slow and the generation that was in front of them that was supposed to prepare them didn't succeed at getting to where they needed to get to help facilitate that. And so having that lost generation after Okada, whether that be like, you know, your Watos and your show and your yo's and, uh, great Ocon and Sonata and evil and all of these guys that are not where they need to be in terms of stardom and in terms of capabilities, they didn't, rise to the occasion and now the guys that are underneath either need to surpass them or get held down while we elevate people that probably aren't deserving of it right now and it it feels off yeah i think 2023 is going to be an interesting year to look back on because i feel like there is two two it was almost like two different years in one i feel like the first half of 2023 was a lot more focused there was a lot more intentionality with some of the stories they were telling you had the whole like Okada versus New Generation thing. It seems like there was a, it feel like there was two people booking. It was this exciting. Year. Yeah, the first half of the year was very exciting, and then post G one. No, like, no, G one. Yeah, starting with the G. I guess yeah, post Dominion really. Yeah, things kind of started shifting, and Sonata's title run was kind of a flop, and just that that second half of the year just felt kind of like a downslide and things weren't hitting. Like you mentioned, we're pushing people that maybe don't need to be pushed. And we, we have the young guys that are having great matches. We talked about 
Suji and Osprey, Suji and Umino, and all these guys having great matches, but they're not winning. They're not being pushed. They're not winning titles. And now we're in a situation where guys are leaving and these guys have not been pushed yet. Yeah, we got people leaving. We got people aging who can't, who are still being relied upon, like Tanahashi and Naito, guys that are not going to be around much longer at that level. And then you, 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 you know, there's scuttlebug about Okada. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that. Um, you know, and the 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 generation of guys that should have been better. And and then there's a, a whole bunch. And then there's like other Japanese talents like Kitamura passed away and he left. And like people like Kenamitsu and people that failed in the, in the the process of going through the system that should have been like the next guys that did. You know, Yagi. People like that who like just didn't make it through and we're kind of and then New Japan not utilizing the LA Dojo guys and the Noge Dojo guys soon enough. And then plus, you know, obviously the pandemic and everything like that. It just feels like the company very much has continued to progress everybody at the same rate that they always had without realizing how the environment up around the wrestling world was changing and with AEW's rise and everything like there the the slower mentality was maybe a little bit too little too late and now now we're in this predicament and it's not where fans probably want the company to be and yeah the first the first half of this year is very exciting the second half is very dire yeah uh, they got a comment here from Discord Daddy of JSPR says, first of all, thanks everything for you got everything. Thanks for everything you guys do. Another year on top of my personal New Japan podcast power rankings. Truly appreciate the <laughs> effort and consistency. Wishing you guys and the whole community an amazing Christmas and safe holiday. Except for that trust fund baby, cowardly money mark, and culture vulture, Tony Khan, Shinny Han forever. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> All right. That so. wasn't even a question. It was just a comment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we do have the Road to Tokyo Dome shows coming up this week. Josh, show uh, Thursday, December 21st. The, the, the show starts. So I've uh, got a big main event on the 21st. The never open weight six man tag team champions, Team Hoff, will defend against the United Empire team of Great Okan, Jeff Cobb, and Hanare. And uh, MJ asks, uh, is United Empire the right team to take the titles from Team Hoff? It makes sense to me to see them have a nice little six-man run, but some things haven't made all that much sense lately. <laughs> well, you know, they've they've been saying lately that they uh, have their intention set on taking those titles uh, with Tanahashi and Okada both heading into singles programs at the Dome. I do wonder if there's really the the necessity to keep the title on these uh, on um, Ishii Tanahashi and Okada. I do think it would benefit, uh, you know, the members of United empire a lot more, especially with uh, Will Ospreay on his way out of the company, probably give them something to do heading into uh, power struggle or not power struggle into a new year's dash and, and new beginning and everything like that. So I would say that's the right move. And who knows? They they're also talking about wanting to take the uh, the ROH six man tag team titles. Maybe this is the trade off. Maybe like, all right, 
you guys can have the strong belt for your your triple crown, and then we'll take your six man <laughs> <laughs> and unify them. Yeah, and uh, you know that's the trade off. I don't know, but yeah. I, I think they should do the title change here. I agree, yeah. especially you know for a guy like Jeff Cobb who has nothing at the Tokyo Dome, he's usually featured on there. So I would have these guys win the belt. You can either do like a never six man gauntlet. Or you could, yeah, have Gaze of Agony come over, do the, the double title match, or have, you know, TMDK challenge. There's a lot of different units that could potentially challenge. You know, you could throw a Bullet Club War Dog heavyweight unit uh, against them. There's a, several factions there that are, are not on the card yet that you could put these guys uh, against United Empire, and then you don't have to worry about Tanahashi and Okada going into the dome with those belts either. And then the semi-main event, we are going to have the uh, Provisional, KOPW 2023 champion Taichi defending against Yoshinobu Kanemaru and the votes are finalized and it will be a whiskey bottle ladder match. So uh, I've seen I've seen Taichi have ladder matches before. They suck. I'm not looking forward to this. It might be fun, funny, I guess, and there's a lot of history between Kanemaru and Taichi and everything like that, but I love the idea of Taichi as the KOPW champion when he's having the types of matches he was having with like Shingo, mm-hmm. but uh, this is not really for me. I'm sure some people like it, but I, I don't know. Uh, I guess some fun holiday <laughs> hijinks as we close out 2023 and and award the true KOPW provisional, you know, champion. Not no, not provisional. The the true the actual, champion, yeah, the actual one. Uh, then. After that, uh, on the card, we'll have Sonata, Yuyo Moro, and Doki versus Naito, Suji, and Bushi, Desperado and Satoshi Kojima versus Hiromu Takahashi and Shingo Takagi, Choto Umino, Tomoka Hanma, and Master Wato versus Evil, Sho, and Ren Narita, TJP, Francisco Akira, and Callum Newman versus Clark Connors, Drill Maloney, and Gato, Zack Sabre Jr., and Kosei Fujita versus Yuto Nakashima and Oscar Loibe, Mass Horse makes his return to team with Mass Bolton to take on Tiger Mask and Toroyano. <laughs> uh, the next day, we got Road to Tokyo Dome Friday, December 22nd, and um, we have the return of Mass Horse and Mass Bolton teaming up to take on Toroyano and Yo. After that, Tomohiro Ishii will face off against Callum Newman in singles action. Let's so, go. <laughs> good luck, Callum Newman. Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi team up to take on, um, so the team of Bishamon will take on Yuto Nakashima and Oscar Luebe. I guess they, they got to get a tune-up match before the Dome. Yeah, they got to face the, the new blood. <laughs> Desperado and Master Wato are teaming up again to take on Hiromu and Bushi. Francesco Akira versus Drilla Maloney in singles action. After that, TJP will take on Clark Connors. So, Heyman uh, special. Yeah, we're getting the Heyman special here, obviously. And then uh, your semi-main event, Kazushika Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi take on Zack Sabre Jr. and Kosei Fujita. I think Kosei Fujita is going to beat Okada here, obviously. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And then your main event, you got Sonata, Yuya Uemura, and Taichi taking on Tetsuya Naito, Shingo Takagi, and Yotasuji. Big big time main event on the final match and final card of the year, and whoever wins this match is going to stand tall as the snow falls in Corken Hall, which is a a moment that we all come to treasure and love. 
Um, I'm thinking if, if it was me, I would probably have the LIJ team go over with a, you know, unfortunately, probably have Yuya Uemura eat the pinfall. He's not doing anything at the dome, anyways. He can, you know, that that's where they book themselves. Yeah, I am hoping that there'll be some angles here that will build to Suji and Yamura at the dome. Then uh, the previous night, um, Narita and Umino, they're in the multi man. Hopefully, that will build them having a singles match and we can get these guys on the card. Well, they're going to be on the card one way or the other. Like I said we last week, that Rambo. We got, they got a Rambo. You know, if we get these six-man tags, we could get a, a six-man gauntlet. There's a lot of options, so don't <laughs> don't you don't you worry. They're gonna be doing something. And if worse comes to worse, they could always throw on the, the the red and the white shirt back on, stand outside at ringside, put the arm out, protect <laughs> them, the women and the children. <laughs> oh my god! You know, you know, grab an ice pack. Put it on. Put it on Sonata's head as he cries as he walks out the building because he lost the title. You know, there's a lot of stuff for them to do. So, mm-hmm. um, but let's jump into the news. So, <sighs> big rumor. Uh, there's a rumor going around that Okada is talking to or working with Larry ba- <laughs> Larry <laughs> Barry Bloom. This news was uh, first kind of hinted at. On uh, Twitter by friends of the show, Super Jcast. What's up, Damon and Joel? Uh, we had a question here from Lee Chang is Bay too. Says with rumors that Okada may have hired Barry Bloom to have to be his agent to negotiate his new contract. What are the odds that New Japan does lose him to an American company? Well, it definitely makes things a lot more real. So if you, you don't know, you know, Barry Bloom is a, a guy that has a no, negotiated a lot of big contracts in the history of wrestling. He's a guy who negotiated Will Ospreay's deal of AEW. He negotiated the Elite's uh, recent re-signing of AEW to get, you know, their biggest contracts ever. He's worked with Jericho. The list goes on and on of guys that he's worked with to... The, the outsiders. Yeah, to secure like, the bag. Yeah, he's worked with a lot. Here's what I will say. Um, as of now, I, I'm not going to, uh, we do know a couple things now, but we're not a news breaking site and I'm not going to step on the lead of those guys at Jcast Cause it's, it's their story that they broke and they know more about it than we do. Um, so I'm not going to go into de- detail about anything that anyone has told me so far. I- I'll leave it to them to kind of discuss on their show and on their platform. But what I will say is this, if, and this is a, if, if, he does sign with Barry Bloom, or if he is signed with Barry Bloom, he wouldn't be doing that to negotiate a contract in Japan with New Japan Pro Wrestling at all. Right. There, there's, um, there's no need for that. <laughs> there's no need for it. And now keep in mind, of course, maybe this could be some sort of ploy to leverage his position with New Japan, and he doesn't intend to leave at all. Of course, that's possible. But if he is, if he puts pen to paper, and he signed with Barry Bloom. Then at that point, the chances of him leaving are like 98% and he's gone, which would be unprecedented because no ace of any major uh, Japanese wrestling company in the history of Perezu has ever jumped ship to an American company. I mean, the closest thing you might want to point to is like Nakamura, but Nakamura wasn't the ace of the company. Right. This would be like, you know, Anoki, Baba. Tanahashi, Muto, you know, uh, 
Ricky Choshu. It'd be like one of those guys like jumping Fujinami, like, and it's just never happened. And it would be unprecedented if it did happen. And, um, you know, it could be, if that happens, it would either be AEW or WWE. Cause those are the only two places that he would sign. Yeah. So we'll keep following the story as more, uh, details break and are developed, but uh, another thing I will say, and, and this doesn't mean it's happening, but I will say this. Uh, if if Jcast is saying it, it doesn't mean that it's happening, but they heard it from somebody reliable because those guys don't go out of their way to just rumor monger and uh, contrary to what the opinions might be about them. If they're saying that they heard it, they heard it from somebody reliable or somebody's reliable and there's smoke to the fire. And it, and honestly, the moment I saw that they posted that, my stomach dropped, and I'm sick to my stomach about it because I think it would be extremely detrimental to New Japan if this happens. Yeah, it's not going to be good. <laughs> it's not good. Uh, the Tokyo Sports Awards were revealed this past week, and the winners uh, for 2023 were as follows. The MVP award went to Tetsuya Naito. That's their top award for these awards. Uh, the best match of the year. Great Muda versus Shinsuke Nakamura. The Women's Grand Prize went to Tam Nakano. The Outstanding Performer Award went to Hiromu Takahashi. The Fighting Spirit Award went to Kano. Technique Award went to Yuma Aoagi. The Best Tag Team Award went to Bishamon. And the Rookie of the Year, the Saito Brothers, Ray and June Saito. So uh, there's probably a lot to discuss here. I listened to Big Audio Nightmare this past week. They did a great uh, breakdown of the kind of um political aspects of these awards but uh honestly i wasn't surprised by the picks just given the history of the tokyo sports awards in general right as we know these are the very political awards there's certain agendas that have to be met every year in each of these categories so not surprising at all and it's a domestic award to be clear so you know um i mean we could we can bitch and moan about like will osprey not getting even nominated but like Anyone that knows knew he wasn't going to get nominated. So, I mean, there's nothing to even discuss about it. You know what I mean? Right, and they, they, they weren't going to pick Osprey Omega for their, their match either. Right. Uh, NJPW programming will continue on Access uh, TV in 2024. The network announced today that it has ordered 45 new episodes of NJPW on Access TV to air in the new year. Episodes in January will feature matches from Wrestle Kingdom 18. January 11th will be an episode featuring Will Osprey. David Finley and John Moxley for the new global heavyweight title. The January 18th episode is going to feature Okada versus Danielson. And then the 25th episode will feature the world title match between Sonata as he defends against the G1 winner Tetsuya Naito. This past week, it was announced that nine promotions in Japan have formed a new industry group, the United Japan Pro Wrestling. The purpose of the organization has been stated to be uh, to further the presence of pro wrestling and its cultural merit in Japan society at large, allow professional wrestling to contribute further to cultural and sports sectors and work toward continued health and prosperity of the industry. Uh, they had a press release and a joint uh, event featuring all nine promotions will be held on May 6th at the Nippon Budokan. Uh, the show will be held under the United Japan Pro Wrestling banner and the companies that are involved, and there may be more in the future, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, which, to be clear, is the founding group. The, the headquarters of this group are actually 
New Japan's offices. So it's like they're the ones doing it. They formed it. And the other members are All Japan Pro Wrestling, Pro Wrestling Noah, DDT Pro Wrestling, Ganbari Pro Wrestling, Big Japan Pro Wrestling, Dragon Gate, Stardom, and Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling. We had some questions here. Rambone Slam Pig asked, how do you think NJBW taking a prominent role in the new industry group that was established this week will impact uh, on future plans to work with other domestic promotions? Is the new, more cooperative style here to stay? Yeah, I think it is. I think one thing that we saw from the pandemic, you know, New Japan, they are, they want to help elevate Japan and wrestling. They, they want to work together with other promotions to help raise the state of wrestling in Japan. We saw, you know, the, the All-Star Junior Festival uh, in Japan all together, uh, the Wrestle Kingdom shows with New Japan and NOAA. We've seen now for the last couple of years them more and more working with other promotions, doing these big cross promotions, these big shows, having other promotion guys involved in G1s, World Tag League, Super Juniors. Um, so we're seeing this more collaboration. I think that in the state that Japan wrestling is in to get more people invested and watching again, I think it's going to be here to stay for a while. And especially for New Japan, as people leave, they're definitely going to need help to elevate their brand. You know, I, I would love to have an optimistic uh, utopian view of the altruistic nature of what this is supposed to be and that all these groups are going to work together civilly and make a lot of money together. And it's going to be a, a new boom period for Japanese professional wrestling. But I, I just don't think that that's actually the case. I mean, the, the, the two best um, examples of large groups of, of promotions being able to work together would be like the NWA um, in its heyday. And then, you know, in the UK, joint promotions in its heyday. But there's always been issues um, with those models. And, you know, most of the time when they were able to thrive, it was based out of prosperity and them having boom periods where business was doing extremely well. And they were all benefiting, you know, um, benefit like mutually at the same time. Uh, in situations where groups like this have been formed, the you know I think of Pro Wrestling USA in the '80s uh, to kind of combat Vince coming into the country, and you know part of me thinks that not only is this uh, in in terms of um, necessity, this is probably born some somewhat out of what happened with the the pandemic. It's also probably born out of New Japan having this new working relationship with other groups, but maybe still needing to have a hand over the whole thing and kind of having the political control over it. But I do wonder if this has anything to do with the shakeups over with TKO and the merger with the UFC and the, the previous um, aspirations of WWE to move into the market. Um, yeah, and NXT is- Japan has you know been rumored to st- still be a focus, and I know they're WWE's been snooping around trying to see what promotions they could buy. So yeah, this could be kind of a, a strong defense, a front line to keep WWE out of Japan. Plus the new deal that they signed with the BMA. But um, ultimately, my feeling is that this won't last, and I think it might be around for a bit. Um, while people benefit from it because 
in Japan, we saw groups like this work together at the turn of the millennium when business was down and companies were going through their quote unquote dark ages. And then once business picked up, they split off because ultimately it was impossible to keep all those groups working together when you have so many different bookers and personalities and agendas and ownerships and, you know, uh, egos at play. And I think the same thing will happen here. I think it'll be fun for what it is while it's here. And I'm here for the cross branded shows, but ultimately I think it's going to fall apart. I think it's going to be a mess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we did get a question from um, Lee Chang is Bay. Uh, two saying New Japan has recently put out a presser that they have joined United Pro, uh, Pro Wrestling, United Japan Pro Wrestling, with eight other companies like Noah and All Japan. Do you guys know what this actually is? It sounds like a wrestling union. Yeah, we kind of just talked about it. Um, it's yeah, these guys are coming together to again, they're trying to elevate business. They're trying to do you know increase ticket sales. They're trying to draw more. They're trying to work together. In, in in hopes to elevate all their their business honestly once once i saw the press release for this i didn't even call around and ask because it just sounds like basically there'll be cross-branded shows where they put this this stamp on it and there'll be a revenue split between the groups and there'll probably be some sort of uh you know, you can get dates on our champion. We'll send them over. I mean, look at what's happening with Noah and their big January 2nd show and how much New Japan involvement is there mm-hmm. to kind of bolster it. I think we'll see a little bit more of that. It'll probably be a lot of talent exchange and then maybe some cross-branded shows and, you know, um, revenue sharing for for any venture that's kind of under this banner. So, um you know, don't I don't think it's just New Japan doing it out of the goodness of their heart. I know it's them. There's there's always ulterior motive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Barry Walsh said on the announcement of the uh, UTV Japan Wrestling Group, what are your opinions? Does it strengthen all the members against possible NXT Japan or other groups trying to get a foothold? Does it run the risk of being a cartel against much smaller feds? And um, we already kind of touched base on that, but I think he brings up a good point. I do think it could be. Uh, I mean, that's what that's what the NWA was. That's what joint promotions was. They were like wrestling cartels that, you know, blacklisted the outlaw territories. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, I did think it was interesting. The one group I would have kind of expected to see uh, listed amongst these members was Glade. And oh, they yeah. worked with New Japan not too long ago, and they're, they're not here. And I'm kind of surprised by that a little bit. Yeah, maybe Glade didn't want to play nice with these guys and want to do their own thing. Also, Chaco Pro. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But yeah, no, I, I do think that there's, I do think that the Western invasion idea is probably part of it. Um, I also think that it might be a way for them to kind of consolidate power among some of the smaller groups that, that are there as well. Um, maybe give them a little bit of uh what what's the like motivation to also join into the fold uh, Mm -hmm. as well you know um i don't know we'll see how it plays out i'm not optimistic i'm very (laughs) pessimistic about it honestly let let it play out josh yeah let it play out osamu kiddo a member of the original new japan pro wrestling roster uh passed away at 73 years old unfortunately uh kiddo's death was announced by his family on thursday 
He passed away on December 11th with Nikon Sports reporting that Kiddo had been suffering from cancer for several years and had been receiving treatment. Kiddo was part of NJPW when the company launched in 1972. In 1986, he held the IWGP tag team titles alongside Akira Maeda. They were the second team ever to hold the belts. Um, A little bit before your fandom and and viewing, Jeremy, um, I do think that You've seen Osamu Kiddo wrestle, even if you don't recall it, when we watched uh, some of the UWF versus New Japan gauntlet stuff. He was involved in that excellent match. Yeah, I remember him from that match, yeah. Um, Osamu Kiddo is a guy very much before my time. You know, uh, he was around in the 70s, and a lot of the the footage of New Japan that's widely accessible in the 70s is either going to be like Andre or Sekiguchi, but mostly it's Inoki stuff. but I have seen some Osamu Kiddo from like the 80s and 90s. He was um, one of the favored prize students of Carl Gotch, so much so that they had a very personal relationship where, you know, Carl Gotch referred to him as his son and he referred to Carl Gotch as his father. Um, you know, he did jump from JWA to New Japan when they formed the company, um, had a huge hand as a trainer. Um, you know, throughout the early 2000s and the 90s. Trained uh, Nakamura. Yeah, he did help, uh, had a hand in training Nakamura. Um, He was a member of the original founding UWF when they split off in in 84, 85, that sort of thing. And um, smaller statured guy, not necessarily with the most charisma. He spent most of his career as either a tag team guy or like a mid-card wrestler, but silky smooth in the ring, extremely believable. One of the the best like shooters and grapplers in new Japan history um, and a solid hand, a guy that they relied on for years and years and years, uh, you know, and uh, sad to see him pass away. And uh, our thoughts and prayers go to his friends and family. Finally, here we got uh, Kushida. His relationship with new Japan is not going to change in the wake of his signing with TNA wrestling. So if you didn't hear, he has officially signed with TNA He uh, appeared on the Battleground podcast on Wednesday and clarified that he will continue to work for both promotions. So uh, I get the feeling, though, that he's probably going to be primarily based with TNA, which we've seen him work with a lot lot this past year. And then, um, you know, when he's in Japan, he'll work with New Japan, which they're hardly using him, like, since they brought him back anyway. So, um, you know, congratulations to Kushida on that career move. And then uh, finally, Will Osprey announced his last Rev Pro show will be on February 18th, and he wants to leave with the Rev Pro British Heavyweight Championship. Uh, assumingly, he has challenged uh, Michael Oku for the uh, Rev Pro Undisputed British Heavyweight title. Yeah, we know the history and rivalry between those guys, and it's the classic, you know, will the guy take the title to the other promotion kind of story. Uh, so, yeah, it should be a great matchup and a lot of intrigue as we get closer to February. And we got a lot of questions here that we need to run through here. Some from last week and some new questions that came in this week. Let's give uh, short answers. Okay. Uh, Rambo Slam Pigs says, do you think the heavyweight tag title unification match at the Dome will remain a two versus two? Or will some other teams end up in there? As of now, it looks like it's just going to be two on two. I think it's just a unification match. Yeah. And a similar question here from Will Pro Wrestling. You guys think the IWGP tag match at the Dome could be changed into a three-way with the War Dogs? I think last week everyone was thinking this was how it could play out, but it's, I don't think it's going to. Yeah. I think they're set with the tag title match. Unless they do an angle 
at the Road 2 shows, but I, at this point, I doubt it. Don't they already have graphics? Yeah. Yeah, once they get the graphics, it's, it's pretty <laughs> much a done deal. They're not going to spend money to change the graphics. Those lazy uh, New Japan graphic designers. Uh, Death Triangle 720 says, do you think the Universal Kingdom card feels like a company agenda rather than what the fans hoped for? No, I, I wouldn't call it a, an agenda, but I just think it's the logical booking conclusion of a lot of these stories. But it is a, a huge deviation from a lot of the ways that uh, Gato traditionally has booked Wrestle Kingdom cards. I, I can't recall Wrestle Kingdom where we ever saw this many rematches. Yeah, it's very weirdly booked. Um, yeah, I don't think it's an agenda. I just think for whatever reason, this was the plan. In the room, it said, let's do all these rematches, and that's what we got. Uh, next up here, Rambo and Slam Pig. It looks like several NJPW stars are heading to the big year and Noah show. Is that in place of the NJPW versus Noah joint show that we have had the last couple of Januaries? I haven't heard anything about it one way or the other. Yeah, the the last few years with them doing the Yokohama Wrestle Kingdom show, they haven't announced it until Wrestle Kingdom actually happened in most cases, if I right. recall. So yeah. I'm thinking they're they're not going to throw that money away. They they draw well for that show, so they're probably going to do it again. And we're probably not going to know about it until they do some sort of Wrestle Kingdom angle with Noah. Um, and you know, it last year they had a uh, New Japan um, involvement with their January second show, so I'm not surprised they're doing that again. Yeah, and we saw the, the angle last year of Congo invading and challenging Lij. So they'll. Either they'll do an angle or they'll do some kind of announcement afterwards to uh, for Yokohama. I liked the year before better where they had the tracksuits and the entire <laughs> roster came out. <laughs> that shit was sick. And I thought it was going to lead to something. I thought that was going to lead to something big. It did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Let's Commission 7252 says, I've seen a Reddit on the New Japan page that said Prince Devitt would have been the leader that Jay White was during his time with Bullet Club. Could you guys absolutely see that? There's a possibility that if he stayed longer in Japan, he would have been the guy to dethrone Okada or Tanahashi and become IWGP heavyweight champion. He would have been a transitional champion, but Japanese crowd had already grew on Devitt and he played the heel role great. I, I do think that the company was going that direction with him, but it's hard to say because they've always had that kind of quasi discrimination against junior slotted wrestlers, but who knows? I mean, he, you look at the success he had in in WWE uh, with NXT and some of the different periods where they've decided to go with him. And, you know, you could probably see him having been in that spot where AJ Styles was or where Jay White or Kenny Omega was. Um, I don't know if it would have been exactly all the same things, the same booking, but, I think some of those same accomplishments those men achieved probably would have gone to Prince Debit had he stuck around. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next up question here from Death Triangle 720. Does it feel like no matter what the fans say, the company will be will be on deaf ears about the too many belt situation and recent booking decisions? Hard to say. I mean, uh, people vote with their money and their mouths. and Put uh, your money where your mouth is. Yeah, you put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> it, it's hard to say. I mean... I, again, one of the things that it's hard for us to understand it, it is a domestic product that is marketed towards the domestic audience. And that doesn't always align with what Western fans want. And I'm not saying that as a cop out because I, I don't necessarily think that 
accounts for some of the bewildering decisions they've made, but it is something that you always have to have in the, in the back of your mind. But it feels like, you know, a lot of the stuff they've decided recently is very puzzling. Yeah. It's very, yeah. Head scratching. Also asks, I'm going to sound like a dick, but should New Japan make a deal with Noah to trade them some undercard and older talent so New Japan can make some space for new talent? I mean, we've already seen examples of them incorporating uh, some of New Japan's older talent, and not just them, but all Japan as well. So I, uh, that that's not too far off base, honestly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it would be good to transition more of the older guys out of New Japan to uh, make room for the younger guys. Also asked, do you think, uh, he says, uh, if Gato stepped down from the booking, who should take his place? Okada, Tana, Nagata? I have no clue. I don't know who's on the booking committee. I don't know who it, it has a mind for that, commands the authority. I, I have no clue. Clearing out Okada's man's leaving. <laughs> um, he also asked, do you think if the reception of the decisions of the booking was received by the fans of Japan, New Japan would listen to them. I, I do think that they would be more apt to respond to response from Japanese fans than they are to the international fan base, for sure. Yeah, and again, it, it kind of seems like some of the stuff they're doing is listening to the J- Japanese fan base. Obviously, I think that fan base loves the idea of Sonata vs. Naito, and they're really into that match. And so that's not appealing to the Western crowd, but I think that, it's appealing to the Japanese crowd, so I do, I do think some of the booking stuff is they are listening to Japanese fan base. Um, let's see next here at Well Pro Wrestling. Do you think the IWGP Women's Belt, if booked well, could have value on the big shows in New Japan? Yeah, I do, but you have to utilize it correctly. You have to have the right stars and personalities in place, and so far they haven't shown the ability to accomplish that. Yeah, there was a lot of promise. I think it could have been great, but yeah, there's a lot of complications, a lot of politics that have prevented from being a big uh, part of the shows. He also asked, should New Japan just let Noah keep House of Torture and some older talent for a while? I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I feel like that's wishing ill will on the Noah fans. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, you could get an exodus similar to what uh, Suzuki-gun did, uh, Run over Noah and then come back. That would suck. <laughs> uh, Ram Blown Slam Picks has any thoughts on what the whole, what the role of the younger generation talent will be at the Tokyo Dome and on the New Japan Road Shows? Are we going to get bills to some important matches, or are they getting buried in multi mans or the Rambo? Well, you know, he asked this uh, uh, last week, and we're just now getting to it, so you know. Again, the way that the, the, the card looks like maybe there's room for them to potentially do something there, but I don't get the feeling that they are. But you never know. Uh, the road to Tokyo Dome shows don't usually have a lot of angles. They usually actually kind of have a lot of like kind of weird, wacky, one-off stuff that you're not used to seeing. But maybe. I, there might be some room for them to do something like that. But I'm leaning more towards the Rambo and the Gauntlet than I am singles matches. Yeah, we'll see. I know that they've added time for the Tokyo Dome. Usually there is a press conference after the Road 2 shows where they do kind of officially finalize the card. So, you know, hopefully we, we could get Umino and Narita and uh, Suji versus Yumura, but 
at this point, it's looking bleak. Yeah, it's either going to be. Bro, they could easily just do a pre- at the press conference just out of nowhere, out of the blue, be like Narita, Suji, Umino, and uh, Yui Mora, four-way. Yeah. New, gen- new generation four-way or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. They could just do that. They're all in different groups. It, they could easily go that way. Yeah. Uh, Death Triangle 720, say what you can about the Wrestle Kingdom card, but most of the matches make sense. But Tano vs. Shingo doesn't make sense at all. Does it feel like New Japan had a plan for the Never title, but it fell through? Yeah, I, I think so, because it seemed like the booking was leading towards Suji and Shingo in the World Tag League. And um, now that didn't happen. So then Shingo got belted up. I don't know what switched, but something felt like it shifted. Yeah, either like Tama signed or whatever reason. They're like, you know, Bishamon has to win World Tag. Like there there was some some kind of booking change that made them shift course. Well, they felt like Shingo had to win the Never title. So something weird happened there. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, says should New Japan just release some talent to make space and keep certain top guys, Okada specifically? <laughs> I, I guess that's in response to uh, opening up the checkbook by releasing other talent to be able to afford Okada. And it might not just come down to money, but um, maybe not the worst idea in the world. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if Okada wants to do stuff in the U.S., I think it could be more about mu- about that kind of creative freedom and new challenge versus money. So, um, also as hypothetically, let's say Bushiro decided to kill Strong and Tamashi and just focus on the Japan market in Asia, would it benefit them financially? I I don't think that they're making that much money abroad, personally. Um, but I'm not privy to their finances in that way. Um, you know, I, I know a little bit about the Tamashi shows, and I don't think New Japan's making much from those. <laughs> and I know there's a lot of expenses involved with, uh, you know, the strong brand uh, over in the States. And, you know, hard to say. Um, it, it could benefit them, but they are looking to expand one way or the other, whether that's, you know, in these other western markets or whether that is in oceania and south asia they're 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 looking to do business elsewhere which i think is a smart thing as opposed to just being a regional national touring brand within the country yeah we know we know that's strong there's definitely a lot of expenses there um that's kind of been changing and altering and so yeah it, it could be that they make more money with this new focus on asia but only time will tell. Uh, next question here from Caesar one two three four five six seven eight nine ten W. Is Taichi ever going to get that IWGP title push? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's he's too old, man. <laughs> uh, Let's commission seven two five two. There are two stories that could be told after the Kingdom next year. If Naito wins the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, one is Shane Hayes getting his rematch at New Beginning after being victorious over Naito in the G one. Two, if they bring back the anniversary show for next year, we can get the three-year-long dream match that the pandemic put on hold between Naito and Hiromu. Do you think both of these two possibilities will happen? I think that as much as I love Shane Haste, if we are doing a title match between Naito and Shane Haste at New Beginning, something has gone awry. We, have, <laughs> we, are, not, we are not on track. 
I'm all for the idea of Naito and Hiromu finally on a big stage at the anniversary show. Sure. But Shane Haste, and don't get me wrong, you, you slap a coat of paint on Shane Haste and you, you give him the right push and the right opponents and you build it and you get the fans behind him. Certainly we could do that. But right now, like with, you know, after Wrestle Kingdom, no way. That That is, that would be crazy. Yeah. The, that would the, be the wrong the post- idea. Russell Kingdom Challenger? No, 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 no. No. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Hiromu uh, Naito. You know, he, he talked about that in the that interview thing at the, at the stadium. I think that they will potentially do that. I'm wondering if if Naito's going to wrap it up this year. His knees are fucking gone. So is I. Can't see out of his eye. <laughs> uh, also asked, what vision do you think New Japan uh, wants to have going into 2024? And what vision do you guys want to see New Japan having in 2024? Survive. <laughs> I want the young guys to be pushed. Suji, Umino, Narita, Uemura, War Dogs. I just want the shit to be good. Let's let's go back to having good New Japan. Let's fucking do that, you know? <laughs> Uh, Lee Chang is Bay 2. Put yourselves in Gale's shoes for a moment. Your top Gaijin star is leaving, Osprey, and your biggest domestic star may be too, Okada. What do you do now? Who becomes your new ace? Who becomes your new pillars to build around? What outside talent can you even realistically bring in to mitigate the massive loss of Osprey and Okada? And most importantly, how do you prevent another dark age from happening? Well, um, I think that they, if this pro wrestling union thing is uh you know intended to curb some of that that that's not necessarily the worst move in the world um if okada leaves the optics of that are so fucking bad Mm -hmm. (laughs) not to mention like you know uh i mean okada's not spring chicken he's 36 but still like losing him at 36 Fuck, dude and (laughs) and all the other guys they've lost to AEW over the years I mean, I guess some to WWE, but mostly AEW. Like, fuck. Um, I, I, I would go with the younger talent, like Jeremy's saying. I would try and make Suji, try and make Umino, try and make Gabe Kid. I would really push some of the guys that have been there for a while that are kind of underutilized, like Zack Saber Jr., um, and try and retain him. See if. Mm-hmm. He doesn't take the bag and leave. Yeah, I, uh, I think Zack Saber would be the great kind of transitional champion. Like you have him potentially like take the belt from Naito, and then you build up the young guys that come and challenge him. You know, maybe this isn't such a crazy idea, and people might not like it, but maybe Ishii should get a title. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. You know, even just temporarily to kind of you know, you went with Sonata. You know, you went with 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 evil. You went with the rest. Let's let's put the title on the best and see what happens. You know, <laughs> um, I don't know, man. I I don't know what you do because you got basically the top two talents in the company, and if they both leave, like it's not good. Time for uh, hit the break, hit, break the glass, Tanahashi. Oh God, go Ace, <laughs> go Ace. <laughs> you know, we never talked about it on the show, but like. When Jim Valley was like, if you're a New Japan fan, you should be thanking Tony Khan for signing, you know, Will Ospreay because, you know, and his reasoning was because at least he'll be able to come back and work. It's like, no, bro. Uh, 
New Japan fans are not going to thank Tony Khan for signing <laughs> away the best talent in the fucking company <laughs> so that he cannot come back. And when he does come back, he cannot job. Like, what? That's horrible. No. Yeah. The fuck? Uh, also, asked, so New Japan it's introducing a global championship to replace the U.S. title. So tell me, what is the difference between global and world? Aren't they the same thing? Why don't they just bring back the IC title back instead? Convoluted discussion, but I agree with you. You echo the same sentiments that I I pointed out. I think Jeremy pointed out last week. It's it, it's a stupid name for. But to, to be know. fair, Intercontinental is also the same thing as World. Not to me. I've never in my life heard Intercontinental and thought that that meant World. Well, it's all the, to me all the continents on the no, world. To me, it was just between two continents is Intercontinental. So it was like you know. Is it all the continents? Is that what Intercontinental means? I mean, I feel like all the title, at least the WWE version, had like the whole globe on it. Yeah, but I never thought of it that way. I just thought it was like the line between two continents. So it's like the next step up. Like, And maybe it does mean the same thing, but you know what? To me, it doesn't. Because to me, the Intercontinental title is the block-shaped one with the white strap. and The world title's got a a giant eagle on it. Mm. It's not different <laughs> so if the global title is white strap is it... it is gonna i bet you it's a white strap and i bet you like to, it'll just be like you know the secondary title yeah I, I think that uh you know noah having a national title is a better way to go but whatever yeah or... i liked my idea that they do the opbf title but whatever <laughs> Uh, let's see, Cozy Dr. Lariat says Naito versus Sonata uh, on track to being the biggest main event in Kingdom history. You guys think of NJPW focus more on their domestic business at the cost of Western expansion has been better for business, or should NJPW worry about their Western fans with deeper pockets? Um, I mean, I don't know why you can't kill two birds with one stone. Um, I don't think that this is on track to be the biggest. Uh, title match in in wrestle kingdom history it is uh from a financial standpoint going to be one of the more successful uh title matches that they've had in recent years but not all time yeah um and yeah i think for like the western expansion i think the interesting thing is the reason why new japan got hot in the west in the first place was they're they're just putting on great shows and business was booming over there and there was a, a need for it to come over here. And so I think they need to really focus on getting hot. And then if the product gets hot, then the Western fans are going to clamor for it. And then you can come back and do some bigger shows. Uh, Discord Daddy says, Mercedes Monet is a Muta level finesser. Her grift has allegedly destroyed the company we all love and respect. Will this be the, the last time we discuss the IWGP women's title? So I'm guessing he's he's saying that because they paid so much money to bring her in and sign her and all that, and then you know got some short term gains from it, but ultimately it amounted to nothing. And now she's not with the company, and now you know they're going through hard times. It wasn't the gam the gamble didn't pay off, basically. Yeah, and potentially they could have used that the money money to uh, keep Will Osprey <laughs> or Okada. Yeah. Yeah, um, those are good points. Yeah, and I, I and I don't know about the women's title. I feel like they, if if it is going to stick around, they need to just 
you know, follow suit and unify those two belts. And, you know, I don't know, maybe just gift it to stardom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, last two questions here from the Dark Soldier. He says, what was up with the WWF World Martial Arts Championship of Anoki? <laughs> I was always puzzled by it as a kid when looking at the defunct titles. And while it's cool, Anoki got to have his own belt back in the WWF. What's the full story behind it? Uh, well, we don't got time for the full story. But basically, Anoki was doing work shoot matches uh, going back to the mid-70s. And when he came to the WWF, Vincent McMahon Sr. awarded him the WWF World Martial Arts title as a belt to recognize his accomplishments in the quote-unquote worked shoot matches that he'd had. And many of those worked shoot matches were contested over the WWF World Martial Arts title. Um, That's pretty much the whole story on it. I, I love the belt. I love the idea of the belt. It's he's the best martial artist in the world, you know, best shooter. <laughs> uh, his last question. What is a match from world tag league that you remember fondly? Doesn't necessarily have to be your favorite. It's a match that you remember being very, very good for me. It's best friends versus Jeff Cobb and Cy Michael Elgin from 2017. What's yours? No cap. That was going to be my answer. Super strong team versus the best friends is like one of my favorite matches that we've covered uh, from World Tag League. Yeah, honestly, I don't even like. I, I probably have to look. You back. don't. You don't remember that match. I remember that match, but like to oh. give my full definitive, what's my favorite match? I mean, uh, recently, I don't have a favorite, but one that sticks out to me pretty recently is the match uh, Taka Michinoku and Minoru Suzuki versus. Uh, the dangerous techers. Well, that was that world tag league. Yeah. Okay. I forgot the taco was in that tournament. Yeah. Dude, I, they, I, beat, I, the, they beat the fuck out of taco. I, I remember that. I remember taco getting beat, getting beat up. I just remember it being world tag league. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'll have to think back more on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's going to uh, wrap things up here this week. Next week, we will have Chris Sampsa on the show, and we will do our big Wrestle Kingdom preview and prediction show. Uh, so looking forward to that. Uh, so, uh, re- Real quick, I just want to say, so I know we've taken a couple weeks off and a break from a recommended match of the week. We had this format, you know, one week Jeremy does an excursion match. One week I do a recommended match. And like the whole thing just became like so convoluted and like time consuming. So uh, me and Jeremy talked it over before the show. This is basically what it's going to be because it's our show. We can do whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> Every week we may or may not do a recommended match of the week. And that recommended match, should we choose to do one, either one of us can either be a current excursion match or a classic recommended match that's either from new japan's catalog or even new japan adjacent whatever we decide to do and um you know i I have a feeling with the amount of excursion matches going on we'll probably focus more on that kind of help us with the awards throughout the year but uh you know if there's a week where we're looking and looking at the excursion matches and you know they want they want me to watch you know I'm looking and I see a tradition match involving Tenzon. I might not pick that. I might, you know, 
maybe have us watch a, a Liger match from 1993 instead. Or maybe we just don't do one at all. But uh, that's kind of just going to be the format going forward. If we choose to do one, we'll we'll recommend it and we'll watch it. We'll cover it and we'll come and talk about it. Yep. And maybe some weeks we won't. Sounds It'll good. be up to us. Yeah. Um, also, um, I was on the wrestling art podcast with Chris Bryan, Chris Things this past week. Check that out. We discussed uh, Toshiaki Kawada versus Don Fry from the uh, 1990 or from the 2003 um, All Japan Pro Wrestling anniversary show, which is really great. And Jeremy, I think we got audio on uh, um, the FOH draft dropping soon, right? Yeah, that's right. Probably, I think probably the end of this week, the FOH draft will be coming up. We post a little teaser video on the social suplex uh, Twitter uh, or X account, so you can check that out. Uh, but yeah, be looking out on our, our PayHip store, payhip.com slash social suplex. That's where uh, the FOH 2023 will be dropping. Pay what you want models with just a donation of $5. Awesome. And, yeah, keep voting in the awards. Link will be in the description. Also uh, pinned on top of our X account. And, like I said, next week we're going to uh, preview and predict Wrestle Kingdom with Chris Samsa. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate. Click on the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media on X. The show is at KI Strong Style. Follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash Wrestling Squared Circle and Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy. Also keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at Social Suplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio hosted by Rich Lada and James Boyd. All Things Elite hosted by Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Simowitz. Imps WWE Adventure with the Implications Matthew Mayer and Wrestling Art with Chris Things. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style. The Ace of Podcasts. Yo, Jeremy, that, uh, little project that we got working on in the background uh the results came in so um got a surprise for the people in the very near future we'll see how that turns out yeah it's your bum thank you for listening to keeping it strong style we'll see you next time Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.